Ready? Good afternoon and welcome to the December 20th of 2022 City Commission meeting. We're going to start off tonight with an executive session. If I could get a motion. I move uh, a motion to recess an executive session for approximately 30 minutes to discuss a personnel matter involving a city employee pursuant, pursuant to the non-elected personnel matter exception, KSA 75-4319-B1. The justification for the executive session is to protect employee privacy. The City Commission will resume its regular meeting in the City Commission room at approximately 532. Second. After the executive session. 545. What? 540. It's we said 30 minutes. Okay, 30 minutes. Back in okay. 45 if you want. No, no, that's good. We just okay, don't usually 30. start till 545. So we're ready. Second. Okay, got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes 5 to 0. Okay, so that's, that's how that works, right? So we're back from our executive session and we have nothing to report. So we recess until 5.45. Do we vote on that, Sherry? We're done. Okay. Okay. 5.45. All right. Now you can get your candy. See, now we're For the executive session. Everybody ready? Good evening once again, and welcome to the December 20th, uh, 2022 uh, City Commission meeting, Lawrence, Kansas. We'll start off by having a few announcements by Sherry, and um, we got Casey tonight. You have nothing to report? Already did that. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to the Thank you, Casey, appreciate it. So we'll start out with um, item number B, which is to approve the agenda. The city commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Are there any changes to the agenda that um, any commissioner would like to see? Move to motion? approve the agenda. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes five to zero. 
Our second item on or third item on the agenda is public comment. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Individuals should ad address all comments and questions to the commission. Comments should be li limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission take make decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Any public comment? I think the reason why there's no homeless people here tonight is germane to this business of the city. My name is Michael M. Lawrence Accountability. Because whoever put pressure on Jen about what she can do with her own vehicle on her own time, unbelievable, really? So now the city dictates to people, you're leveraging your powers against your own employees. You let your whole staff leverage it against the citizens. Anybody read the Vera report? <laughs> Do you even know it came out? That report directly points to the problem for your jail overcrowding. And it said to me pretty clearly that the sheriff's department is trying to address the problem and trying to do the right things for the community. But as we see in that report, the discretionary arrests of this police department is what helps keep that jail packed. Discretionary arrests is what helps create people like me. Discretionary arrests is what causes a situation where you have a guy that's wrapped up in the wrap, getting fingers jabbed into him by an officer, a sergeant. That's good stuff because what we also found out was all of you guys have the authority to step in. Mr. Finkeldye, you said this, that while, that while the city commission commissioners do have the authority to do these things, they choose not to because they want city staff to act. Well, God damn it, the city staff is not acting correctly. And it's time for some accountability. Accountability is the only thing that prevents these things. You guys understand the death penalty? It's a deterrent, right? It's a deterrent that sends a message to other people. Don't do this or we will inject you with something and you'll die. It's a deterrent. You guys need to start holding some people accountable and quit just blaming the low-level person that this all fell to. Because I'm sorry, but if half of what she said is true, you guys are, are, are way out of line, way out of line. There is equipment in storage right now that these homeless people need. I understand there's some black tents in storage somewhere that are much more weather resistant, much more wind resistant. We spent $250,000 a couple years ago on some service trailers that would help them have showers and some clean water, water supplies and stuff. Why are those not out? Why are they sitting in storage somewhere? Why are we not utilizing these resources that you used homeless funding from the government to buy and now they sit in storage. What in the hell is wrong with you? You just wanna throw six or $8 million at the problem and not do your job. When I said spend more money, that's not the only solution. How many of you guys have actually gone out there and visited that camp? Any of you? One, maybe, any more? Two, three? Time. Thank you, Michael. Any other public comment? Hi, I'm Chris Flowers, and I agree with uh, Michael, what he just said. Um, also, I just hope there's no retaliation against the homeless 
programs coordinator for going to the media. Um, I, I really appreciate her doing that because that really answered questions that um, I, I don't think y'all asked last week. And I don't think the city staff's um, answer to um, the media really answered what was going on. So, I, I mean, I appreciate her doing that. And also, I, that just got me wondering, um, do we have any kind of um, non-disclosure clauses where we, where, where we try to prohibit city employees from going public with what they've dealt with working for the city? I, um, I just ask because um, where I where I work, we have to sign an agreement. So I mean, it's it's something a lot of corporations are doing, and I don't want our city to become a, like a corporation where we're trying to silence our employees. I mean, I'm not sure that's going on, but just from how the city is handling this, I can see them looking into that and trying to silence. Um, people that are, are exposing what's going on. And I, I think it's completely unreasonable to ask that an, a, a city employee what they can and can't do with their own personal vehicle in the, when they're not at work. I, I think that's a bit much. Um, also, the other problem I have with what with what I read in the paper about the city's response, it's kind of like they're saying, well, this is the homeless program, like the the homeless program's response, and it's their decision. But they leave out that, like, I don't think this whole camp, how that would have been handled, I don't think that would have happened. I mean, part of the reason why stuff's going on the way it is is because the city's, I'm going to, I think the city's handicapping um, what the homeless programs, what what they can do, like with um, like staffing. I mean, if you don't properly fund them, how are they going to have the money to actually have all the staff they want? So, if you say this is the the homeless programs um, decision, well, it's also a decision made based on the city's like funding and what the city's allowing them to do. So, I just wanted to point that out and. Also, I, I really don't want there to be any kind of retaliation for the employee going public. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Any other general public comment? Okay. My name's Tiffany Kopp. Jen, the city worker, has not only helped us in everything, but she's actually took time out of her own day to help us. She's not a bad person. She's not anything like that. When she's using her own personal vehicle on her own time, that should be okay with you guys. Like, there was times that she used her vehicle to take me to the hospital because I had just given birth. So when you guys say that she can't use her own vehicle, what if there was a life emergency out there? Like, you guys know that someone died out there. There's people out there that have frostbite right now, so there's... A lot of stuff going on, actually. So I believe that she should be able to use her own vehicle how she likes, because she's the one that bought it. You guys didn't. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany. Other general public comment? Do we have any general public comment on Zoom?
no one has indicated they wish to speak. Okay, thank you. Then we'll move on to item D, consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will, will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any items that the commission wants to bring off? A D-8-B. Any other commissioner? Uh, D-9-E as an egg. E what? D-9-E. Okay, got it. And I was going to pull that one too. So any anybody else? Nope. How about for the, the audience? Anybody want to pull something from the consent agenda? Yeah. Any other items? How about on Zoom? If there's any items that anyone on Zoom would like to have pulled off the consent agenda, please raise your virtual hand. Uh, that's all the items. Okay, we'll bring it back up here. Then I will ask for a motion to approve the consent agenda with the exceptions that were noted. I move to approve the consent agenda with the exception of D1, D8B, and D9E. Second. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Passes 5-0. We'll start off with D1. Michael? Yeah, I'd like to ask that the City Commission meeting minutes start including the number of people that spoke during public comment so that you can see the impact of the pressure that city staff puts on other city staff lower than them to not use their personal vehicle to transport people. I think that really should be documented in the minutes. How many people were here versus how many people are here tonight? Did you succeed? Did you succeed? It's a good question. You don't like me up here. You don't like them up here. You don't want to hear from them. They are part of this community. They have a right to be here, a right to speak, and they can be here and be driven here by anybody that they want. And I think the number of people that speak needs to be on the minutes. That way we can see the impact of these decisions and the pressure that comes down from the people above. That way we can see the impact of, of how it measures the amount of people that show up here based on y'all's reactions. Thank you, Michael. Any discussion? Any questions? Any? Not will. Not to, not to put Commissioner Sellers on the spot, but I think she has described as most accurately as anyone ever has the difference between um, what should be in the minutes and um, what is a transcript. I apologize. No, I, I don't disagree. I know. I'm, I hear what Michael is, is saying. I think, again, that's not normal practice for minutes. But again, the movement of the commission is the movement of the commission. But again, that, that it would be a part of a, a transcript. If the commission wanted to add that, they could. But again, that's not necessarily germane to parliamentary procedure, and it's not a requirement. By the state of Kansas. That will just, just practice and period of minutes. Okay. And I don't think, and I think the issue of conflating it to 
impact, correlation and causation there. I don't, I think that's taking a lot of liberty. So not unless we were tracking the number of people who spoke in order to address some outcome, there is no outcome that can be associated with that. So I don't know what the value would be in, in, in listing number of people who spoke if there's no causation, there's nothing that says that if 80 people speak that there's a negative or a positive impact. And to start conflating that with a number can start to create narratives that are not necessarily there. Okay. Uh, we'll open up to public comment at this time. This is uh, Chris Flowers, and I would just like to say that what benefit I could see is that last week we had an hour's worth of public comment and no commissioner asked any questions or took any action on it. But then like just the last month, about the same number, I, I, I don't know, it just seemed there was a lot of uh, public comment when when the people from Johnny's was here and you all acted on that. So, I mean, I could see a benefit there. But also, I just wanted to talk about transcripts. Um, can the city provide any transcripts? Because the other week I was looking through past stuff and somehow I, I did a word search and I found out, I found like this YouTube transcript, like YouTube, like there's a transcript from you, from the YouTube video or something. So if, if that's, I just wondering if, if transcripts are a possibility because I did come across one from YouTube the other week. And I mean, I don't remember how it happened. I just, I remember when I saw that, I was thinking, huh, that's kind of like what people have been asking about when they pull off minutes. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. Any other public comment on this item from the room? Do we have anything, anybody on Zoom that would like to speak to this? No, Mayor. Okay, bring it back up to the commission. Any discussion? No, I think Mr. Flowers made, I think shared my, in, in sharing his comments, um, advocated for my point. The, the idea is that people will speak. And the fact that if a commissioner does or does not say anything does not, there's no correlation to whether or not they have something to say or that we don't have anything to say or that by not saying anything, something adversely happened because of it. That's conflating. So for you to create, a, so we want to be careful not to create a narrative to say that because commissioners don't ask a question at that time, that we don't have anything to say. There's there's intimidation, there's fear, or something like that. That's conflating a narrative about a person. So again, I, I think to, to your point, I, I hear you, but there's really no outcome or justification to saying in the minutes, five people spoke, eight people spoke, if there's no, there's no end game or no outcome as to why, those num why we're posting that or why we're stating that. If unless someone's going to use it to create a narrative that 80 people spoke, the commission didn't say anything, therefore fill in the blank. That's creating a narrative. And I don't think the community needs that. And I'm pretty sure the commission doesn't want to do that. And that's not healthy to the business of the body and the business of, of the governing body as well as the body. So I just, 
want to be careful of of in, in you sharing your point you sh you validated my point that just because doing something doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a a reaction that is going to be beneficial in some capacity it may not at all we could just talk Michael 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 you're out of order that is your warning uh, Michael I'm going to leave okay Michael, you're out of order. Officer, would you please remove this gentleman from the building? I don't need Trent to get out to remove me because I'm going to leave. Clear by. Clear by. Uh, Mary, I think we need to approve those minutes. We do. <laughs> I would like to approve the City Commission meeting minutes for 12 13 22. Do I have a second? Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That passes 5 0. Did, you, did I hear you, Commissioner Sellers? No. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to speak for you. I'm, that's, thank you. <laughs> you can, it's an aye. Um, aye. So um, we got a 4 0. She said, hey. I said aye. So oh, okay. Aye. Got it. I'm sorry. Didn't hear you. Five zero. Next item, D eight B. Let's see what we got. Yeah, if uh, I pulled this one and uh, had some folks in the community uh, wondering about this, and uh, I think Randy's probably on the call. I think it was his. And if he could go into a little bit more detail, uh, just regarding. Um, the businesses that would be allowed to uh, um, um, act under this proposal, and if um, if the if we would if it would be limited at all, just to yes, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Um, this item came before the City Commission uh, November fifteenth, and at the time it was a text amendment to what is section 20-5095 of the city code. And that is the provision that requires uh, businesses or licensed premises in the CD district, which is downtown, to make no more than 45% of their uh, gross receipts from the sale of alcohol. It's the, it's the you know, keeps everything from being a bar downtown. Uh, the text amendment proposed for certain entities to be able to ex extend that cap to 90% if they received a special use permit, if they were less than 3,000 square feet, if they had valid liquor licenses, and if they met any other conditions that were placed on by the city commission. Uh, there was a robust discussion of that item, that those issues at the city commission meeting. And at the end, the provision was the city commission wasn't so excited about doing a special use permit and we are in the process of rewriting the land development code and all these things are going to be reconsidered at that time so the situation was the, the provision was or the recommendation was to come up with an idea that maybe place a moratorium on the enforcement of that section of the code and see what that would be like and you know at that time we could only recommend well, well we'll look at it and see what we can come back with and we would bring back the best thing that we could that would comply with the commission's wishes 
And I think after looking at it and working on it, our initial thought was we would come up with something that would, you know, help existing businesses. But as we got deeper into it and looked at it, uh, there were some issues regarding equal protection regarding that. So um, anyway, that's the ex that's how this current resolution is. And basically what it would do is it would allow anybody that had an existing or had a liquor license and had an or an establishment less than 3,000 square feet, they would be entitled to the moratorium or the suspension of the enforcement. That would involve anybody who has a license now or a license in the future. And the reason for that was is the equal protection. Uh, under equal protection of the laws, which is which is required or mandated by the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, city can, in certain situations, differentiate between businesses or entities as long as there's not a suspect class like race or gender. And we have to basically articulate a rational basis. We had no difficulty coming up with a rational basis for articulating a difference between a small business or a big business based on the effects of COVID and the ability to get people in the building and be able to make money and survive and do that type of deal. But we had a difficulty coming up with the ability to differentiate with some, between somebody who has a license now or might have a loose license in the future. So that's where we are now. And the proposal would allow that once anybody exceeded 3,000 square feet, they would not meet the strictures of it and they would have to come in compliance with 45%. So with that, I would stand for any questions. Um, just additional questions, uh, like uh, additional questions. Would that apply to now? Excuse me, I didn't catch. Uh, how many businesses would that apply to currently in that district? I, I, I do not know. Okay. It would apply to everybody that would met, meet the, meet the criteria, but I don't. I do not know how many entities are three thousand square feet or less, and would or would in the event in the future have liquor license. Would Sherry be aware of any such information? I can't tell you how many businesses are thousand square feet that have a license because it's not as part of the license. That's not something. And we could try to get that information as far as future businesses. I would have no way of knowing how many spaces would be under that square footage for lease or. Um, and it might be a little bit early for this, but I was just, I'm just curious. The previous proposal that was put forth on November 15th. Is there any way we could go back to that? If this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney, absolutely. That is an option. We were just tasked with bringing something forward to you that perhaps would put together a moratorium that would be legal. That's what this would do. And if it's not to the City Commission's liking, then we could definitely go back to the previous uh, ordinance and special use permit process, the text amendment that was presented to you on November 15th. Okay. Any questions? Any other questions by the commissioners? I wanted to make clear that um, it's it's the adoption of the land development code or December thirty first, twenty twenty five. Correct, whichever was earlier. Because I expect. Larkin, 
Yes, we, we didn't want to leave it indefinitely because there's always an option that we could be working on a land development code that never gets passed and that this would go on forever. So we just set a time frame. And, you know, obviously, if it got close to December 25 and we knew we were going to have a land development code in the next six months, that could be extended. So we just put a time frame on it. Or, you know, if the code was passed earlier than that, it would be, which, you know, whichever occurred earlier. So that was the purpose. We're going to be done with the development code long before <laughs> 2025. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate your efforts. Thank you for making that notation. <laughs> Any other questions? Not we'll go to public comment on this. Any public comment from the audience on this item? Hello. Hi, my name is Dante Colombo, and I am the general manager of John Brown's Underground, the business that first brought the resolution in question um, that of, of which now this is kind of the evolution of um, back uh, uh, beginning in, in uh, early, early this year, but but into to, uh, the um, deputy city attorney, uh, Mr. Larkin's point on November 15th was discussed um, at, at length and kind of we arrived um, kind of, uh, you know, after discussion, you all arrived at this kind of new proposal. So um, I did want to to be here to voice um, our and my um, uh, approval and and you know wish that that like this would pass today. Um, I think that that it it, it provides um, as 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 you all mentioned um, in in the last meeting that in, in which this this was discussed would provide time to come up with uh, a series of requirements or a set of a set of regulations that that would. Um, Maybe be more to more to your liking, more to the like, um, you know, spirit of of how we see this evolution of, of this code moving forward, um, and with the new land development code, um, you know, have more have a more robust public discussion about what this might look like in all in all its forms. Um, so, you know, we we certainly you know we we even though we we put that proposal forth um, for for the amendment, um, we certainly understand all all of, uh, the commissioner's points about. Um, you know, various points about why that might might not work or not work right now. Um, and even though like we still, you know, would, would be in support of that as well, we are, as in, in this context, um, want, want to voice our, our ardent approval and, and, and very much in favor of uh, moving forward with this with this current um, version of, of, of the, the and, and adjustment to the code, as it were. So thank you again all so much for your time and consideration. Thanks, Dante. Any other public comment? All right, Commissioners, uh, Mayor Larson, uh, thank you for the opportunity to provide comment on this matter. Uh, my name is Kyle Aldridge. Um, just to level set expectations, I'll have to admit I abhor public speaking. Um, You're fine. I haven't. I've done everything I can to avoid doing so uh, probably since comms 130 over a decade ago. <laughs> um, but the fact that I'm here before you this evening uh, is testament to how much I care about the decision you're about to make. So let me be clear in voicing uh, my unequivocal support uh, for resolution 7460 uh, temporarily suspending uh, with respect to smaller licensing premises in downtown, uh, the enforcement of Section 25095 of the City Code. Um, I know the point's been made at similar me at previous meetings I've attended that you know we have rules. Rules are important, um, and that's absolutely true. But what is also important, I would say more so, is the application of those rules and the consequences, both intended and unintended. Um, you previously heard from. Colombo from John Brown's Underground, one of those 
consequences, consequences of the decision that you're going to make here tonight. And at the core of it, um, it's you know comes down to whether or not they remain part of the Lawrence community. I think they should. Um, Dante and Cami, they're far too modest. Um, they don't nearly talk themselves up enough, but the environment and the establishment they've created here in Lawrence, um, that would be on par with in many of the nationally recognized and ranked craft cocktail establishments nationwide. And we have them right here in Lawrence, Kansas. That's, that's something special, that's something good. Um, I fully understand the point brought up by the deputy city attorney. Um, there are equal protection considerations and they're looking at, you know, how this, you know, zoning ordinance can be rewritten, changes that might be coming. Um, what I think would be a travesty would be if in, um, you know, in that process, we don't act in time uh, to keep them in Lawrence because, you know, honestly, they don't have to be here. It's, it's, it's good that we have them in this community. Um, so uh, again, just to surmise, uh, I'd like to voice my support of this resolution or anything, um, you know, I granted, you know, there might be an extension, there might be some other things to work out, but if the laws already be looking, looked at for revision and we know, you know, there might be changes to be made, um, it'd be a shame to do anything that would put them out of business um, you know, prior to being able to make those change. Uh, that's why I do support um, <coughs> suspending enforcement on that code. And I'd like to thank you for this for the time to speak this evening. Thank you, Kyle. Any other public comment on this item in the audience? Now we'll go to Zoom. John Heeb. Hi, um, Mayor Larson. Uh, commissioners, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Um, Kyle, for a, for a poor public speaker, I thought that was outstanding, and um, I really couldn't add a lot more, but I just want to uh, also um, express my support for this resolution, and I think it would be uh, shameful for a small business such as John Brown's Underground, as well as others, to fall victim to rules that are antiquated and that were put in place decades ago to, uh, you know, for purposes that were clear and reasonable at that time, but uh, are really not, um, you know, don't serve the same purpose now. Um, John Brown's and, and other places uh, are a great asset to our downtown. There are people obviously locally and uh, also from around the state and around the region that I know that come to downtown Lawrence. Part of the reason is because of places like John Brown's. And there's an incredible amount of talent and thought uh, and thoughtfulness and expertise and and caring. Uh, these people care about the people who come to their establishment and they take good care of them. So um, I think I've probably said enough, but uh, I think, it, like I said, it would be a shame for this business to suffer uh, at the hands of, a, of an antiquated uh, rule that doesn't make any sense anymore. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Any other public comment on that? 
There's other public comment, but if I know this is out of order, could I interject? Because I'm not sure if the folks out there are aware that from November 15th, there was provided a way for John Brown to still be open um, at that discussion. It would be just through the use of a special use permit. Um, this would be opening it up to everyone. So, but I just, everybody thinks we're suggesting order. that we close it down. It's like, we're just providing another avenue yeah. for it to stay open. Yeah, if you wanna have some more discussion on that after, let's go ahead and get this other person on Zoom. We have uh, several, Mayor that I'll go through as okay. uh, Ryan Reza. Hey folks, Mayor Larson, fellow city commissioners. Thank you so much for your time. I'm glad I could make it on. I work and so I run to my, or run to my computer, but my name is Ryan Reza. I'm a former KU student and I'm a full-time uh, Lawrence citizen. Uh, I also sit on this city's multimodal and transportation commission. So I'm really invested in the development of this town and I'm happy to be a full-time resident now that I'm a KU grad. Um, I strongly support this resolution and really encourage you all to adopt it here tonight. Uh, without places like John Brown, I wouldn't be here. Um, they're the reason why Lawrence exists and continues to pull in young folks. And I recognize, you know, this is a point that Vice Mayor uh, Little John just made, that this isn't just about John Brown, but that's exactly the reason why I'm speaking here tonight. Developing our downtown and making it more flexible for um, for establishments like John Brown and other, um, you know, potential new enterprises is the reason why young people care about Lawrence. And it's the reason why we have a unique and bright community. We have the most unique and one of the youngest communities on all of Kansas. And if we continue to, um, you know, allow for functionally archaic rules that existed before I was alive uh, to dominate the discourse in this town, then we're not going to ever develop and we're not going to continue to grow. Um, places like John Brown and places like Henry's and um, you know places like the bourgeoisie pig are the reason why college students learn to love Lawrence and learn to love Kansas and stay here. You know, I, I met my partner in this town. I met a lot of my longtime friends. It is my home. And this resolution will further expand that home that I've built here and will further grow this community that has such a rich culture and a rich history. And we've got to move past these old rules that were implemented by nobody on this board or commission and nobody in this room and people who, and, and, you know, people like me weren't even alive back then. So it's time that we move forward and it's time that we build our community up and stop listening to the past. Thank you so much. I strongly urge you to um, support this resolution. Thank you, Ryan. Other public comment? Samuel Ryder. Hi there, everyone. Um, yeah, my name is Sam Ryder. Uh, I've been a longtime resident of Lawrence, Kansas, a bartender downtown. I've ran a few bars at restaurants. Um, I'd also like to agree with Ryan and voice my strong, strong support of passing this. While I know that it is not a complete fail-safe of either John Brown exists or doesn't. I think having the good, like correct amount of time to suspend this is appropriate. I think that places like John Brown, whether they already exist now or could exist in the future, really do create the right kind of environment we want for Lawrence. If you go to any other city with a vibrant culture, 
you aren't going to find rules like the one that we have college down or not. I think letting it be something that is possible to exist is important for a vibrant downtown. Uh, I think that making sure that we have the right time for John Brown, not only to be John Brown and others like it, not only to be constantly under the pressure of is the next meeting where we're going to not exist, being able to actually formally and clearly create a law that supports a vibrant downtown, I think would be uh, crucial. So yes, I adamantly, adamantly support uh, the passing of this proposition. Thank you. Ryan Smith. Um, hi, uh, Brian Smith is my husband. My name is Taryn Clay. You're getting a two for one here. Um, I would like to echo the sentiments of the previous speakers. I believe they've shared more eloquently than I could. Um, the support for this resolution to pass, whether that is in its form on the table currently or the special use permit suggested by Commissioner Littlejohn. Um, we don't live in Lawrence. Uh, we travel to Lawrence specifically because we love John Brown so much and establishments like it. And therefore, we also visit businesses downtown significantly more often than we normally would. So. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak, um, and I hope for your support on this resolution. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. Uh, Terry Reintis. Hi, I'm not sure I can get my camera going. Sorry about that. Um, but I'm Terry Reintis, and thank you for letting me speak tonight. Um, I, uh, I'm really impressed by the folks that were just speaking before me. I'll tell you, I was alive when the um, the the uh, section 2050509F went in place. <laughs> so I I have to tell you, when it went in place, I was one of those people that thought this was a good thing, right? So it would um, help support the downtown community, um, making it uh, better for more shops, more stores, more local to come in place and not be taken over with a lot of um, beer bars, right? And don't get me wrong, I love our beer bars, um, but but I was I was supportive of that. But I'll tell you, I've come around since then with places like JBU and Henry's um, and the Pig. Those are places that um, folks my age and folks younger that were just speaking can go and have a wonderful time, um, meet up with friends and be in a, a very different environment than some of the other um, bars and restaurants that we have in place downtown. So I'm in support of suspending this uh, section 2509, right? Um, I really wanna see these smaller um, establishments take hold and continue to grow as they have been. And there you go. Those are my my two minutes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Other, other comments, public comments? Yeah. Um, Logan Hildebrand. Hello. Um, I can also not get my uh, video to work. I don't know if you can hear me, though. Yes. Okay. Um, Logan Hildebrand, um, I am here in support of this um, amendment, but also in, in follow-up to my letter of support that I've sent over previously. Um, 
I just kind of wanted to speak a little bit on this resolution. And I think a lot of people that have already spoken pretty much took the words out of my mouth. Um, John Brown is a, a gym. And honestly, I'd probably tear up if I go too far into it. But just from the last meeting, just to kind of keep it somewhat short, um, I understand that there's a risk and worry of loss of retail locations um, with this change, the opportunity for what um, could come without like careful work, but from like a public visitor's perspective, uh, for downtown Lawrence, it is thriving and full of opportunities, unlike many of the surrounding cities. While some locations may still cause concern, locations such as John Brown are the type hoping to be the opposite. You can call a location boutique or special, but I also believe that the integrity, the business's offerings, and the care taken to ensure the reputation of the location should be taken into consideration. Um, if written strongly, you know, in the future, um, like going deeper into, you know, what does that mean could change that, but showing that proven track record and like maintaining peace, structure, um, and within it, that business's control could all come again with future planning. Um, I also want to address that, establish that establishments that offer retail uh, part of every visit of mine, um, from books to clothes, games, and more. Um, and downtown Lawrence will always have some version of nightlife just due, I mean, to the fact that it is a college town. Um, but I can tell you that the surrounding destinations are actually pretty jealous and envious of um, what downtown Lawrence and the whole city sustains and provides as a place to live, work, and play. Um, the food and drink experience of downtown are what hold the area at like a higher level and bring so many to the destination. Um, I've worked in the tourism industry for over seven years now um, and respect the decision-making process, not only from economic development perspective, but also tourism and locals perspective, um, as I have experience in both. Uh, while my hobby may exist in cocktails and food. I value tourism, economic development, and organizations such as Chambers, Downtown Groups, and every and others above everything else. Um, the world took a massive hit through the past few years, and Lawrence still stands to be one of the best recovery and maintenance stories yet in Kansas. And I think if this proposed amendment is carefully vetted for each location and a strong application is required later on, then locations like John Brown Underground can exist without worry. Um, so I just wanted to... Um, say that I fully support this. And then to go in just a little deeper into myself, I myself do not live in the city of Lawrence, but I travel there weekly, um, if not more than once a week. 90% of my visits to Lawrence are for John Brown's Underground or similar locations. I'm Robin, thank you very much for your comments. Appreciate it. Brian Meyer. Hey, Mayor, Commissioners, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you this evening. Myself and my wife, who is just off the camera here, longtime residents of the city of Lawrence, just like to express our support for, uh, first of all, the resolution and, and then uh, also, also the amendment. Um, won't, add, <clears throat> won't cover all the things that everybody else has mentioned, but would add that the proposed amendment was a great, uh, when I first read it, it was a great example of how um, Lawrence is always concerned about downtown becoming corporations and franchises, but that the amendment really gives an opportunity for smaller businesses, which obviously John Brown is, and local businesses to get their foot in the door in downtown. And I think uh, that's the one thing I would add is, is that amendment really, I think, is shows and gives a great opportunity to um, allow folk, allow smaller businesses and smaller uh, entities to to start up in downtown, which obviously. John Brown has had. So again, obviously we support the resolution as well as hopefully a consideration on amendment in the future. And thank you for your time. Thank you, Ryan. 
that's all all the public comments all the public comment okay we'll bring it back up to the commission for discussion um and rand oh okay i saw a couple hands up i just wanted oh. to make sure sure i yeah. thought that was the one kyle grimes okay okay it was not up previously mayor do you want to go ahead and take one more public comment there was their hand up already we just missed it it was it was not up when i said there was no public comment we'll go ahead and take it okay hi thanks for taking my comment uh kyle grimes born and raised lawrence i would like to voice my support for john brown and as other people have said before me um I've traveled a lot. I've been to a lot of cocktail bars, and John Brown is one of the best. It is a gem. It makes downtown Lawrence better. You saw the amount of Indiana fans when they played KU the other night. Came downtown specifically and went to John Brown. It's a draw. It's great. It needs to stay where it is. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Is that it, Sherry? No one else has their hand raised, Mayor. Okay. We'll um, bring it back up here once again, and any thoughts or comments? Uh, yeah, I would just, sorry I jumped the gun there, but I would just ask Randy to just to recap briefly from November 15th, just for everybody here, that uh, the proposed text amendment um, that the city worked with Dante and the owners of John Brown would keep John Brown operational and just probably go into the details of it because it was a while ago and I'm not sure everybody was aware of it. Let's bring it to our on, again, on November 15th, there was a text amendment proposed that would basically alter what is currently 20-5095, which requires that 45% cap on the sale of alcohol downtown. The proposal was that if an establishment or property had a special use permit. If that entity was less than 3,000 square feet, if that entity had a valid state liquor license and local liquor license, and if that entity met any other commit conditions that were placed on it by the governing body, then they could basically expand that cap from 45% to 90%. There was a robust discussion of that issue and at that time it was discussed the idea of a special use permit wasn't uh i would say especially favored and so the idea was kicked around of maybe coming up with a moratorium or some type of suspension of enforcement and we said that we could come back with something we might come back with it can't be done and we might come back with something you know great We've come back with what we believe is legal and would uh, effectuate what the city commission wanted on the 15th. If you do not like that, then I, it would be my suggestion to revisit the previous ordinance or, or do whatever the city commission wanted. But under equal protection laws and various things like this, I think we brought back to the city commission something that's legal and something that we could support. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, thank you, Randy. Um, I think what's important about what we were trying to do 
was to disconnect specific businesses from the discussion of the ordinance. Nobody is interested in shutting down specific businesses or creating um, necessarily unfair conditions in the downtown area. Um, so um, I, I was prepared to support this um, kind of moratorium on the um, enforcement, so to say. But Randy, I want to be clear uh, that I understand there's a very small number of businesses that might be scooped up into this. Um, again, make sure someone couldn't open a business tomorrow under wildly different circumstances uh, than this one or uh, another I'm aware of in our community um, and try to skirt the rules, so to say. Do I misunderstand? This is Ray Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. I just want to make sure that this was drawn with no entity in mind. We are trying to keep everybody on the even playing field and only drawing those distinctions that we can under the law. So perhaps a business could come in tomorrow and, and get a 3,000 square foot uh, space, can be any larger than that, get a liquor license. And if they met the requirements of what we're doing here, they, they would be entitled to the, the suspension. And we would apply it equally across the board, regardless of the entity. We don't take into account who the entity is or what the entity is. And we would go forward from that. Um, however, there's a risk in that. There's gonna be money and expense and who knows what the new development code would, would say. They may say that's illegal and that this current way it's drafted is we're not vesting any rights in anybody. They get to do this and get the suspension uh, the same as everybody else, but you know we're not creating any rights by doing this, and they will have to comply with the new law, whatever it is, uh, when it comes out. Thank you, Randy. I just want to be clear. You, what I my takeaway from that was a suspension of the current current rules. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Correct. That would be a suspension of the current rules against entities that are less than three thousand square feet and have a, a, a valid license. That doesn't mean they have the valid license now, they might have it six months from now, they might have it some other time, but they'd have to have 3,000 square feet, no more than 3,000 square feet and a valid liquor license. Any other discussion? If not, I motion. Well, I mean, I just regardless, I mean, I, I would, I'm, I'm in favor of either or because I want John Brown to stay open because I think, you know, as a business, I think it provides a benefit to the community. Um, but, you know, I was just bringing it up to explore that if we didn't want that um, unilateral change, that that was an avenue for us. So I, I would say it is unacceptable to me to bring up a subject this wide and expansive, which we have even suggested should be included in our de land development code without the actual people, um, other people besides the two businesses or so who might be affected but to be part of the discussion. This was on consent and this was what was suggested to us on consent, not going back to what the original suggestion was, the text amendment. All right. I mean, like I said, I'm just presenting it as an option. So, 
I'm I'm supportive of, of this. Um, you know, I think I, I would be okay if we wanted to do December 31st, 2024, because we're going to be, we're going to have a land development code by then. And I do think that, I mean, you know, if, if someone wanted to open a new ball in downtown Lawrence and your, your license was only good, you know, for two years right. without knowing what's going to happen it, and you're going to try to rebuild and, and, and create a, you know, you take a retail space and put in, you know, equipment and relicense it and all that. It's not going to happen until yeah. we know it's going to. So I, I'm not con concerned about a lot of balls just, you know, popping up. Um, so I'm okay if we change it December 31, 2024 to maybe make that point a little clearer. But otherwise, I support this. I would I would go along with that, Commissioner. Um, but again, would say what the importance of it is to disconnect the policy mm -hmm. or the ordinance from specific businesses. Nobody in this town is interested in shutting businesses down. No one that I'm aware of. Um, the, the purpose is to support businesses and while reevaluating uh, a great appreciation of the people who came uh, this evening to talk to us about this. Um, um, I hope they will continue to be a part of this discussion specifically, but other land use issues. Um, there are lots of other people in the conversation, and um, I, I, I don't. I just. I want it to be disconnected. I want the policy to be disconnected from the business. Okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is there's some interest in um, moving forward with what we have, as well as the possibility of changing the date to 2024, December 31st, 2024. Is there I, enough interest in that? I would consider that a friendly amendment. Yes. Okay. Then I would um, ask for a motion. I move to adopt resolution number 7460, temporarily spending with respect to the smaller license premises in the CD zoning district, downtown CD zoning district, the enforcement of section 2509 5 of the city code, which requires licensed premises to drive no more than 45% of the gross receipts from the sale of alcohol until such time as the revised land development code is passed or until December 31st, 2024, uh, making that amendment from 25 to 24, whichever occurs earlier. Second. Got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Zero. Passes five to zero. Move on to the next item is um, D9E. And I'm going to need to recuse myself with this from this due to the possible possibility for a, a conflict. So I'm going to step out and. All right. Okay. Mayor Little John. Thanks. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to make some changes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, gosh. Amber pulled it? I think, I think Commissioner Sellers pulled it. I did pull Sellers. it. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Roger, for being here. I, I, I pulled this uh, to have a conversation. I caught, some, I caught pieces of the last um, TGT advisory board meeting and wanted to be able to have some discussion that I think would dovetail into the committee of the committee that is going to look at um, our boards and commissions. And um, I don't know where it went. When I was at home, I had the January, I think it was the January 18th, 2021 TGT um, agenda. And I don't see it anymore because I was trying to compare 2020, um, the 2022 awards to the 2023 awards. And I don't see that anymore. I don't need it. It was just something I was comparing. What I 
looked at the awards for this past year, I noticed there was a huge drop off in some of the allocations of previous years. And in looking at the application, um, I noticed that there was a language around, um, you know, we how advisory boards have, how the TGT advisory board has usually used this to say, uh, we want to fund events that not only drive visits, but also drives heads and beds, um, since that is the fund that allows this, since that is the driver that allows this fund to exist. Um, however, what I've noticed in the past few years, in last year's funding as well as this year's um, allocation, is that we clear, well, let me back up real quick. There's also, the second part of that is that we also talk about how the application talks about creating um, a sustainability and how organizations that have been funders sh should create some some uh, financial stability and sustainability outside of the funding of the TGT, but they still could receive funding. What I saw from last year and from this year is that I've noticed that within the scoring, which the scoring was a bit concerning to me last year, and it's, it was a bit concerning to me this year, especially when you compare um, award allocations. And so um, I just worry that maybe there's a, I don't want to say mission, because maybe a loss of mission and understanding that there's a possibility um, that we need to re-examine the role and, you know, the purpose of this funding and how we might be creating some unintended consequences, which doesn't allow for, and which creates an inequity that doesn't allow for opportunities to grow and incubate projects that have received low funding and continue to receive low support because they don't create those big numbers of heads and beds as some of our more seasoned and sustained events that are, well, seasoned events who haven't really created a uh, plan on how they intend to sustain themselves and kind of wean themselves a little bit off of the CGT dollars. Or if there's an opportunity, I know Derek had talked about at some point creating city-sponsored events, and if there's opportunities for some of these TGT events to be that that entity. So I say all that to say I, I pulled it off because I'm just, I'm nervous in how the funding and scoring went this year, and it didn't seem like the advisory board was confident in their scoring and just wanted to hear your thoughts on it and to get my words recorded so hopefully the committee of the committees could hear what I was talking about or, or help envision what this could sure. possibly be in another iteration. Thank you, uh, Commissioner. Roger Steinbrock, the liaison for the TG board. Um, I'm new to this as well. Uh, this has been a transitional period. Um, and I would just say that at the beginning when we had the goals and you got part of that mm -hmm. in terms of the heads and beds um, but there is also the benefit including enhancing the cultural economy and that's one of the pieces i think that that is seen in the scoring as well from the board and i don't want to speak for the board i know that there is somebody from the board here that can speak to some of the things that they talked about but i will say um, as taking on this board as the liaison i'm looking at starting earlier uh, than what has done previously. We need to relook at 
like you were saying, uh, not only the scoring matrix, what we're looking at, the strength and weaknesses of each one of those categories, trying to get it right. And then also, like you were saying, Porter and I had had discussions Porter, who had uh, previously been overseeing this, he had talked about that that weaning off, or you know, as you were talking about um, having a moratorium for so many years that you could, after you receive funding for a certain period of years. Um, to me, that's going to be the discussion of the board for after the first of the year for the next season going into it. Um, and so I, I think there's going to be some robust conversations with this board going forward. It's going to probably have meetings in the spring. I even talked about that in the last meeting that we had uh, when they were scoring these. But I don't want to, if you want to ask about scoring, I do have one of the board members here, and I don't know if there's any online because I did speak to them uh, about being possibly here. We could, uh, yeah, I, I think it would be good because I know that I went back, like I said, I was trying to go back to find the matrix from last year because it's not included in the packet. Uh, it wasn't included in tonight's um, right. packet. So, yeah, I uh, guess. And there was a difference in the amount of money awarded, too. Oh. So it was 120 previously, and this year it's 150. 150, right. So, it, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up. I think there was one piece that in, in the application that talked about the idea of transparency and being able to map that out. And I know there were a couple of applicants who essentially were saying that their funding is to cover the cost of parks and rec services. So we're essentially funding entities to absorb, only to absorb that money back. Is that is that something that has been typically done in the past? I don't, that, that have been funded? I can't speak to that. Okay. Um, and I can't even speak to that and what the board decided. Okay. I I was more of a neutral party right. helping so, them yeah, navigate let's, through let's, a lot let's, of that. So Yeah, if we have someone here from the board, I yes, okay. I'd like to hear that. Hello. I'm Liza McKinnon and um, I'm a first year on this board. And we had two people who had been on it previously. I can answer questions, uh, or I could just describe how we kind of came to our decisions. I think that would be good. Okay. So we had an initial meeting, and we're told about how it all works. And then we sat in on presentations from all of the applicants. And then we had a pretty complex matrix of scoring everybody. And then we came back and met together and looked at how the previous year, how they had figured out how to distribute the money. Because since there were so many people that were new, we didn't know how to start. So we looked at the way, um, looked at the amounts that people asked for with the highest ranked applicants at the top. And then we tried different percentages we gave, you know, if we give 100%, how far down the line could we go? If we gave 60%, how far could we don't go down the line? So we experimented with that until we had a pretty good distribution. Um, and then we went back to some of the smaller um, asks and some of the smaller entities that weren't necessarily scored high on heads and beds, mm -hmm. but were groups that we maybe wanted to support and um, th that would be good for the city culturally. 
And then, so then we bumped some of those up because they have really, they had really small asks. And so their percentage was just a tiny bit of money. So we bumped those up, which took away some from the top tier. I hope that makes sense, but that's how we figured things out. Yeah, I was, I was looking for the, or at least I was looking at the 2022 scoring matrix. It looks like it's broken down into economic development, community and cultural development, organization, leverage and merit. Does that sound familiar? Leverage and merit. I don't, there's, there's about 10, 10 things across the top. One, two, three. Okay. So I, I'm not going to confuse you. Okay. I don't want to confuse this or I, I mean, I don't, and I'm not trying to labor this. I, I think the, the opportunity here is, and I think Roger understands is that this is, I'm, I'm happy to hear that there's an effort being made to start this process earlier to do some better onboarding. Right. Um, but I think there's, a, I, I, to the point and the piece in the application about creating that weaning off that sustainability, sustainability. it doesn't really reflect that in this year's scoring. Correct. And so if that was presented last year and we didn't really do it this year, when are we doing it? Because the optics looks a little sketch to me right now. So. Right. And I will speak to that too. Porter also mentioned, you know, this year is also that transition coming out of the pandemic. And I think next year we'll aggressively look at these things and try to come up with a, you know, a much more robust way of looking at this, you know, having taken this on and it's kind of that feel your way through it. I actually was on a transient guest tax in another community. This is a process that I love. Okay. Um, having the community actually speak to things. We had our chamber of commerce overseeing the bed tax and they told us how it was being spent. So I, I love that we've engaged the, the citizens to help with this endeavor. Um, and the group was a very diverse group. We had the cultural arts, we had the hoteliers, we had right. you know just citizens at large too. So I think it's a great mix of people. Um, and again, once we get the conversation started, I think we'll come up with, with some great ideas to, to maybe answer some of the questions you have right, uh, I for 2024. And just, and I, I was looking at this and I, sure. it was kind of bothering me. The parts that are grayed out, is there a significance to why? I'm not sure. I'm looking on, on page three of the agenda. So is that the actual scoring in the programs? There are some that are grayed out and some that are not. Is there? Oh, I think that was just because they originally were every other one, and then okay. we did the scoring. I okay. sorted them. <laughs> okay. I should have probably cleared that up. I'm sorry about that. That's yeah. fine. It just it yeah, inquiring mine. Originally, they were alphabetized, and then they got shuffled when we got the scoring in there. Once I got all the scores in from the okay, from the and again that might emerge from a resolution or just the application, but yeah, and I know, probably I, should have. Uh, supplied you with all the criteria that they were looking at too and that's a failure on my part i was looking at history and what's been given before so. yeah i think for <laughs> me rely on history all the time oh good you know it, but it plays to your a point. point i'll clear that up for next year too and make it less uh confusion right. there yeah i think overall i think the i think the opportunity here is addressing some of those legacy events and is there time to really spell out that they need to cycle off and cycle back on and what that looks like. I think also spelling out there's opportunities for to incubate organ other events that are coming that may not have the longevity and the legacy of other events to get them those get to have those events have the same resources to get to that point. And I think my third point would be um, 
just in the application process, what I've seen is that sometimes, you know, there were talk of, oh, this event created this many beds, but there was no verification of that, as well as what funds are going to be used for. So I think it should be clearly spelled out if you're going to use it for parks and rec services or something of that nature. That, that helps us, I think, as looking at how those dollars are used and leverage, that'll help the, the advisory board as it goes on if it needs to make tweaks to its, its piece. Again, I'm not trying to tell the advisory board what to do, but these are things when I looked at this were kind of opportunities, I think, opportunity spots for us to look at um, where this could have some real value to help you know, be proponents and elevate what we have in our strategic plan. So. But other than that, I'm, I'm, I have no objections to to the awards that were given this year. Are there any other questions? Um, I would go ahead and take it to public comment. Any public comment in the room on this? Any public comment on Zoom? There is not, Vice Mayor. All right, bringing it back. Um, so um, I I was on this um, transient guest tax when it began until I was on the commission. And unfortunately, the mayor can't be with us. I believe she was one of the people who helped create it. And I don't want to spend 20 minutes recounting my experience, which is amazing. Uh, this, as Roger points out, is an, an incredible board, um, very satisfying to be on. Um, but the the debates, uh, Commissioner, you bring up have been around since the beginning. And uh, I appreciate both Roger and you saying history is cool, but also history is like not really relevant right now. So one question was indeed sustainability. And I want to clarify, um, one of the rules was rules was um, you can keep applying for four years and the fourth year you need to take off. And part of the point of that was for them to start learning how to do their own fundraising. So I did want to point that out. Um, another thing I want to point out and, and Commissioner Hope, maybe you and I have talked about this way in the past, is it does feel like there are certain things, as you were talking about, things that might be city-sponsored that we expect. We expect a certain number of parades a year. We love parades. We just love them. And that's an expectation. Maybe those things are, there are five things we expect to happen. Fireworks, horse parade, St. Patrick's Day, whatever. Those things are expected, and maybe they shouldn't necessarily be thrown into this because they are cultural. Um, and that that conversation, even all the years that I was on, was also kind of different from Heads and Beds, which you're on Explorer Lawrence, so you know how important Explorer Lawrence's feedback is on what actually is an economic driver. And so that was always kind of something that was a little bit of back and forth, and especially with sports. If I may throw that in there, we didn't really talk about sports, but you know, many of us may lean more towards arts and busker festival or, um, you know, um, uh, the parking spaces are filled with art for a weekend versus a basketball tournament, which does bring a lot of people in and maybe it's sports, but they learn a lot about our town and it's very important for them to come here. So that was always a little bit, a bit of a balancing act. And I, I know for sure that they, that they saw that. So I think what's important 
again, I did manage to waste five minutes and I apologize. <laughs> what would be great is if we could connect it better to our strategic plan. And it's a little unfair for us <laughs> to hold you to that in this moment. But now, as you've said, you're going to take some extra time. So maybe that um, that would be some great feedback um, is to um, uh, make sure those resources go towards meeting some KPIs, so to say, uh, uh, and, and, then, and also helping that uh, board understand what those things are and what we're trying to move towards. Sorry, were you wanting to say something? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so um, I'm, I'm a great lover of this and I'm so grateful um, that you were able to take over for this. Um, a great question, um, uh, Commissioner, that you brought up, which is where the money goes. And that started way back in the day too, under a completely different city manager, um, which is, you know, Okay, where does the money go when we shut down a street? What happens if we have a street party? Um, that is a cost to Parks and Rec, um, not just in personnel, but you know, barricades and all the things. And then how does that um, come out of their TGT money? Um, and so I, I, whatever happened in the past isn't really relevant. Um, just that you know that you know that you have the leeway to figure out what's going to be best in the future and how it connects to our strategic plan. Any further comments? All right, I think we have to approve this, so we have to put it to a vote, right, Sherry? That's right. All right, all right. I'll call a vote on this. Uh, all those in favor, please. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Motion. Yeah. I move to approve the 2023 transit guest tax grant recommendations from the TGD, D, TGT grant advisory board and authorize the city manager to execute and enter into an agreement with individual grantees for each approved grant. Second. All right. There's a first and a second. All those in favor, please aye. say aye. 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 There are no opposed. Uh, aye. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Five to zero. Four to zero. Four to zero. Oh, four to zero. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Four to zero. Um, I believe we are done with that and lisa can come back in please tell her i didn't break anything mm -hmm. much you can go back and watch yeah <laughs> he doesn't know we voted you out that's true <laughs> <laughs> you have to put on the next parade. Yes. So we've been here for a couple hours. The commission asked, so we're going to take a quick five-minute break. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, we are back and we're going to start 
with the regular agenda items. Number one is to receive stormwater presentation and consider adopting on first reading ordinance number 9959, amending section 16-504 of the Code of the City of Lawrence, Kansas. <coughs> 2018 edition and amendments thereto pertaining to the equivalent residential unit rate in determining the stormwater drainage charge and repealing existing section 16-504. Yep. <laughs> who we got here? Angela Buzzard. Angela, Mike. There's Mike. Oh. All right. Uh, Mike Lawless, Deputy Director for Municipal Services and Operations. Um, I thought Angela was Buzzard was going to give the presentation tonight, but I, I don't see her online. So um, I guess you get me as the as the backup for that. Sorry. About the, <laughs> um, wow. So, okay. I know. Um, I will. Uh, I'm going to try to share my screen here. Hi, guys. I'm here. <laughs> so, there we go. My my Zoom started malfunctioning right as. Um, hang on. Let me turn off the other side. It, I apologize. It started malfunctioning right as you started queuing me up and I had to reboot it. So sorry about that. OK, reboot. <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for trying to chip in there. I really appreciate it. Um, and we're ready. Let me get my slides going right here and share screen. See again, see for the delay. Okay, and go and go. Trying to share my screen. Not just wanting to go. Okay. That will work and pull this over. <clears throat> Angela, we're not seeing it yet. Not yet? Okay. We see your, we see a, oh, there we go. Well, now I screen. see your comments. <laughs> there we go. Are we getting, are we getting closer? Okay. Yeah, we're getting there. And, um, well, I can't get my notes to show up. You know what? Maybe I'll just go low tech. Did you see that slide? No, we're seeing, well, it looks like a Word document. Okay, I'll share again. I, I think we were seeing your notes, Angela. Okay. It's not on my share screen. Is that showing up at all? That's there right. you go. That's PowerPoint. That's showing up? Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, usually I've got this stuff kind of figured out. Okay, let's start again. So hi everyone, Angela Buzzard here, um, MSO General Manager of Administration. And um, I appreciate you uh, taking some time for us to talk this evening about our stormwater rates 
for 2023. Um, and it will actually be a fairly short presentation, hopefully a little longer than my technical difficulties. Um, but what we're gonna talk tonight really is about the essence of this picture and um, our stormwater system and how important it is for um, making sure that we don't have things like this happen, which is um, an intersection picture there of 23rd and Osdale with some drivers probably not having a great day there. So um, I'm going to move us forward to our next slide. So obviously the strategic plan is at the um, heart of what we do in looking at our, our rates. And so I just wanted to remind us of our strategic plan um, uh, strategies that impact what we do in stormwater. So you can see there that first one, utilizing a green rating system for infrastructure projects. Uh, we are red in this category. Um, as you may know, we are bringing um, our um, Melinda Harger and um, Kathy uh, Richardson with our sustainability initiatives are bringing forward a policy next month to look at getting this rating system in place and, and hopefully moving forward on on our strategy there and moving us into the green category. That one relates also to the second strategy of integrating green infrastructure best practices into our public projects. Um, this is gonna be a part of that process as well. The Envision rating system, which will be recommended in, in January, um, provides points and encourages the use of green infrastructure and in projects. Um, so that will be a way that we can score our projects and look at ways that we can enhance those green infrastructure components. And the last strategy here, um, looking at prioritize and enhance timely, accurate, reliable, accessible, and transparent information, processes and services to ensure a connected city is what we call our reliability strategy. And this one is in a little better shape, um, but we still are working through um, inventorying our entire stormwater system. And so with that, um, having the inventory, having condition, we'll be able to better predict um, the reliability of our system and, and do those projects that help benefit it to be more reliable going forward. So I wanted to talk here a bit that, um, you know, this picture and the one I showed earlier are really good examples that we really can easily forget about our stormwater system until it starts raining, right? Um, and so we, it's one of those systems that we really don't think of as much or use as much, but our stormwater system is, is very vast. We have over 7,200 different structures that make it up, include 16 miles of open channel um, and 160 miles of stormwater pipe and uh, four pump stations, which take obviously a lot of energy, time, time and resources to make sure those are working. And we know that <clears throat> we have lots of other projects and needs across our community related to um, stormwater projects, both rehab of old ones and repair and maintenance, as well as putting in new ones to address additional stormwater challenges. Um, so wanted to also put a slide in here because excuse me, stormwater is a little different in how we look at it than some of our other utilities um, fees. And we bill stormwater um, based on equivalent residential unit or ERU. And um, quite some time ago, actually, I think in 1995, we established one ERU for the city of Lawrence is about uh, 2,366 square feet of impervious surface. So it's um, what that means to the average citizen is about um, most residential homes are around one to 1.25 ERU. 
And so that isn't just the square foot of the home, which is what we normally would think of. It also puts in a calculation to look at like the average um, size of the driveway and other impervious surfaces with, with that home. So as we look at adopting the recommended um, rate, as you consider that, this is something to keep in mind that most of our residential homes are one to, to one and a quarter or so on average ERU. Obviously, as we look at our commercial uh, structures, that, that would increase quite dramatically. Next here um, will sound a little bit similar to our previous rate presentation information, um, but we are looking at the same thing with our stormwater utility fund of those economic pressures that are driving um, looking at costs when the cost need for, for this fund and for the projects increases to, you know, repair and maintenance costs, um, general inflation, um, as well as, sorry, supply, um, supply issues with um, materials and supplies that are um, supply chain issues, which are resulting in some of those um, cost increases as well. So we would like to think that a lot of these are, are temporary in nature through this um, challenging economic time that we have, um, but obviously we really just don't know for sure. Next, I'd just like to highlight quickly, and I will say quickly because I'm not, not an engineer, uh, and we have lots of those on, on um, available tonight for questions, but um, to go into any details you'd like on these projects, but did want to highlight that the Maple Lane project, which you have heard and seen, is one that we wanted to highlight that it's really been identified since 1996 in the stormwater master plan. And it not only addresses significant flooding concerns, um, but because we really have a great connection with the MSO department being um, a combination of utilities and um, and public works, um, those teams worked together and were able to identify some significant sewer backup issues with rehab that needs to be done there in that same location as well. So that will be a multi-purpose project that we're really looking forward to get off the ground. Um, additionally, the stormwater asset inventory, um, and we call it the stormwater ID project that I talked about, we are going into our third year of this project in 2023, where we are inventorying Every piece of um, every piece of the system or asset within that within our stormwater and and understanding its condition, so we really can have a better handle on what we own and what conditions it in and what we need to prepare for um, related to its replacement or repair. And um, with that, that kind of covers the next item as well. So as we already have a you know a number of things on the radar that we need to do related to stormwater replacement. Um, and rehab, and as we're doing that inventory project, more items are getting added to that list. So we're having to prioritize those and figure out what we're going to do um, most critically with the funds we have with those programs. Um, and then lastly, on the top there, we do have a set of money that we use, um, not as much for the first part of it, the first projects, it's how, to, how quickly can we get the water out of the community. Um, but that last component is really looking at what are ways that we can improve the quality of that water before it gets to our rivers? And so these are more point source quality project dollars, as well as looking at some source water protection um, projects and, and green infrastructure type of, of projects as well. So that's kind of those things um, on a smaller level. Large project too is the operations field campus, which um, 
has been talked about a number of times with stormwater funds are obviously going to support um, the first phase of that project and, and move our, our stormwater operations over there as well. So here's what we're here to talk tonight um, is the 23 rate recommendation. So stormwater, uh, we obviously partner with um, Raftelis Consulting on this model as well. And we walked through the process with them and are recommending a four and a half percent rate increase, which for one ERU is about 32 cents. So in 2022, our ERU uh, has been 706 and we're recommending and moving it to 738. So this actually aligns well with our previous estimates of estimating a 4.5% rate increase. Um, we, we decided to keep it that way, and we're able to do that with um, the last bullet there because we are recommending to use about $500,000 of reserves um, for this fund to offset some of these um, increases in costs that we're seeing related to projects and various supplies. So we are recommending to use some of that reserve. The health of the fund is there to support it. And we thought this was a good opportunity to be able to offset um, some costs and rate increases for our customers. And as I mentioned earlier, the third bullet there, this does provide full funding for the um, operations budget and CIP that has been approved thus far. So let's see. Um, so here's a, a graph. Then I just have a couple more slides. Um, we obviously are just putting forward tonight, looking at the rate increase um, recommendation for 23, but we certainly take a longer term look um, in doing our rate model for stormwater and all our utilities uh, to look out at some duration. So this graph is trying to create a snapshot to show the um, revenue sufficiency of the fund. The green line there, I'll draw your attention to that, shows where our revenues would be um, if we didn't do a rate increase. So that's our existing revenues carried across our projects. Um, we did go ahead and project out to 2028 because the operations campus investment would cover some of those years. So we wanted to um, look at that, even though that's a little bit farther out than our um, CIP looks in some of these. But also, um, so that's kind of where we're at in the green line, obviously doesn't provide enough uh, revenue there. So then the purple line is the rec staff recommendation looking out um, with the four and a half percent increase for 23 and doing small steady rate increases over the next several years um, so that we can avoid the um, large rate jumps that we've seen, such as in 2021, where we when it ended up increasing rates by 50 percent. So to avoid those larger rate increases, um, staff is recommending this four and a half percent and similar smaller rate increases over the course of the year so that we can build up over time to be able to meet uh, the needs of the expense needs of, of this fund with our various projects. Um, so how do we compare compared to other communities? That's always, always something we want to look at. For stormwater, um, we really kind of are in the middle. The two bars in the middle there that are purple are showing Lawrence for 23, the staff recommendation, as well as um, 22, where we're at now. There's some other like communities that we try to compare ourselves to. I will note that Roland Park um, on the right side of um, the Lawrence lines, they're putting in a new stormwater fee for 28 that won't go into effect until 24. So we have that on there. It won't be in effect for another year. 
as well as the unified government. So they're new into assessing stormwater fees and theirs won't go into effect until 2024 as well. Uh, but we thought it was, was still a good data point for comparison. <laughs> and so I'm here to um, the end. So the recommendation for this evening, the action is to go ahead on first reading adopt stormwater um, draft ordinance uh, 9959. And then if that were to be adopted, um, the next steps would be for us to put forward the second reading of the ordinance on January 3rd. And wanted to point out here that these rates will not go into effect until February 1st to allow for that second reading to happen and for our utility building department to make adjustments um, as things are going forward. So that's kind of how uh, the rate increase would move forward from there. I do want to take a second and um, to make sure that I am bringing attention to the last item there in that um, we have we've mentioned in the past and wanted to make sure that we're making you aware this this at this point as well. We are in the process of doing a stormwater audit of all of our stormwater billing data. Um, it's it's been a very time intensive process, but it, it is really necessary to ensure our billing is is all correct. We are working towards wrapping up the commercial and industrial data set, which is over over 1500 accounts. And um, we will be starting the residential data set very soon. So we wanted to um, certainly bring you up to speed that we do anticipate that there will be some billing changes for customers as an outcome of that process. Um, but we're in the process of bringing all the information together for the first component we've done um, on commercial industrial, and we'll bring that back to the commission so that you are able to see the results of that and um, recommendations for staff moving forward and, and be able to weigh in on that and comment prior to any any communications with with our with our customers related to the stormwater billing and the, the audit. So I'm just ending there with a picture there from Burroughs Creek at 15th Street, where we saw um, quite a bit of quite a bit of um, water in our community as well. So I will close with that um, and open it up for questions. And we'll let you know that there's several folks from our team online. Obviously, we heard from Mike a little bit and happy to answer questions and give any additional information. <laughs> All right, any questions for staff on this? Angela, this is Commissioner Sellers. Real quick, when you go back to slide 12, with your future projections, you had the existing revenue and proposed revenue. And I wanted to make sure I heard you clear what we're proposing tonight is a 4.4.5% increase. But based on this graph, you alluded to that we're essentially going to have to look at incremental increases for the next five years. Yes, Commissioner, that is that is correct. So for us to meet the revenue needs that we see, particularly within the, the CIP, it is looking at incremental increases um, over you know this period as over the next six years. Um, but yes, so we didn't nail it down to us you know to the exact um, preciseness of each revenue increase, but it would be similar smaller revenue increases um, to be able to meet the CIP that we have in place um, to because you know the fund itself isn't isn't as large as some of our other funds, and so if we stop. Stop doing rate increases to do a fairly significant CIP project. It, it you know, it means that we're going to have to jump that much more to to meet that. So, so yes, that is the gist of what I was trying to convey. Okay, and when you say 
smaller incremental increases. Are you anticipating that those increases are relative to what's being proposed tonight? Or are you seeing, are they going to be under four, four and a half or stay within that, that range? You... So I, I could comfortably say four to 6% range. Um, again, there's, there was a lot of different factors in that. And we didn't um, identify exactly all the percent increases, but we would, I would say that on, on average, um, it was going between four and 6% as we looked at over the course of this time period. Yeah. Any other questions? If not, I have a couple of questions. Um, um, you'd indicated that we were gonna use uh, $500,000 in reserves from the fund. How does that leave our reserve fund for, for the stormwater? Does it fall within um, oh, what we Yes, so our cash on hand for stormwater is in great condition. So we're well above our reserve policy. <laughs> don't remember the exact days on hand um, that we had, but we're, we had enough that we could have, I mean, you know, we could just forego and not do a rate increase this year. Um, that, is, that is obvious always on the table. Um, but we, we wanted to make sure that we were in a good place as we look at the long-term component. And um, that's why we decided to go ahead and use some reserves. But our, our cash on hand for this fund is in a really good place. Thank you. And you also indicated that there was a stormwater audit that was going to be conducted. Now, I know we've spent a significant amount of funding on the camera work for all the stormwater lines. Is that correct? Is this audit something different? Yeah, I'm, I should have explained better. So this is actually a billing audit. So largely what we're doing is going property by property and making sure that the, the square footage that we have in billing is, is what we find in the field or in, you know, whether that commercial property um, is, is what we have in our GIS system. So we have new aerials and um, we have new data available. And so we've been going through that process of comparing our information with um, what the ERUs we have in the billing system and making sure that those are lining up. And um, when we're not, we're noting those and that's that's the information that we're gonna bring back um, on what changes we would recommend for a section of our customers and, and how we go about that communication. Okay, thank you. When will that ought to be done? So we anticipate having the commercial industrial information to you in January. The residential information is going to take quite a bit of time considering the, you know, the thousands of properties that we're going through. So I am targeting um, early summer. If we wanted that to be done in a quicker pace, we'd probably have to look at outsourcing. But early summer, we can accomplish um, building it into the current responsibilities on our GIS team. So it sounds like the data is going to be available for when the next rate evaluation is done. Is that correct? That is correct. We would be able to incorporate the residential information and the audit information into our next um, the next cycle of our rates. Okay. That's all I had. Any other questions before we take it to public comment? Um, sorry. Um, so the... LIDAR that we've done, golly, how many years ago that you can't extrapolate it from that? It's a separate data set. So this is, um, um, we ran, um, I can't remember. Mike, do you remember this specific um, layer that we 
it's aerial photography, but there's an, an additional layer. Mike, can you weigh in on that? I can't. Um, it was an infrared layer um, that helps us identify. Oh, sorry, Mike Lawless, Deputy Director for Municipal Services and Operations. Um, it's a it's an infrared layer that helps identify impervious surfaces from the pervious surfaces, and so. Um, I'm not the GIS expert, but the GIS staff can get in and use both the aerial photography as well as that infrared. And um, it's very accurate in terms of, of the impervious surfaces. Um, and so, you know, over time, um, uh, infrastructure surfaces can change. You know, people can add additions to homes or they can add additional concrete, you know, things like that. And so um, that's part of what the audit is going to help us do is um, try to dial in in, in terms of where, um, where those impervious surfaces are at. But again, to be to be clear, we have we're not needing to make large expenditures to find that data. That data is available to us. You just need to mine it. Excuse me, mine it. Michael, let's Oh, go ahead, Angela. Oh no, um, General Manager Administration Angela here. Um, we actually just got brand new aerials as a part of a cooperative that we fly those with um, our county and other city partners and cost share on that. We do that. Um, we just got them available to us in September. And so that was part of the delay in being able to get the audit off the ground. So that that expense is done for a variety of reasons. And we're able to leverage that for this purpose. And there's no additional cost. Thank you. Any more questions? Okay, we'll move it on to, for public comment. Any public comment from the audience? If not, we'll go to Zoom. Let's see. There's no public comment there. Okay, we'll bring it back up to Commission for discussion. Any thoughts or discussion? I. I guess a follow-up question on the reserves, and I know you talked about we have a healthy reserve, and and uh, what's the I mean, what's the plan to use those reserves going forward? I mean, I know we have some large bonded projects coming forward, so maybe that's the plan. But I'll let you answer the question, I guess. Director for MSO. Um, yes, I mean, that's one of the things that we'll be looking at um, is, you know, what's the mix of cash that we need to use versus bonds? Um, like this year, uh, Angela indicated that we're going to spend down um, some of those cash reserves. The other thing that's that we're also in the process of doing that Angela mentioned was the asset ID project and modeling. And so one of the things that we'll get out of that modeling is um, and I think, you know, we presented, uh, Matt and um, uh, Nick presented um, on that, um, gosh, probably in November, um, you know, where we looked at uh, Burroughs Creek um, and kind of how the infrastructure projects would look in the future. Well, as we start to model all of the basins, um, we're going to find, um, you know, more dollars and more projects. And so, um, you know, that is something that we'll look at going forward in the future is, you know, how are we going to pay for those? Is it going to be through bonds or is it going to be through cash that we have um, in those reserves? 
appreciate that. I know we've been looking towards, you know, with all this information we're gathering, trying to decide which projects we're going to do as we gather the information. So I, I appreciate having that, that cash on hand to be ready for that. But, you know, on the flip side, we want to be good stewards of the money and certainly um, raising fees are never um, popular. And so I think we just want to make sure going forward, we're looking at that right balance. So appreciate your efforts on that. Yeah, I would agree with um, Mr. Finkeldye. The idea of we should continue to leverage, leverage our reserves to the extent that we still maintain a healthy reserve balance within our policy. I think that's a good thing to do and we should continue to do that. <clears throat> Keep those costs down, the increases down. Any other comments? Commissioner Finkeldye took my question. So. <laughs> All right, if not, I'll ask for a motion. We had moved to adopt on first reading ordinance number 9959. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Zero. That passes five to zero. Move on to our second. Thank you, Angela. We'll move on to our second item on the regular agenda, and it's received clarification on the Union at the Loop Affordable Housing Project developer fees and consider and approve and approving for 2023 Affordable Housing Trust Fund Award as recommended by the Affordable Housing Advisory Board and authorize city staff to draft um, Affordable Housing Trust Fund Award agreements for the city manager signature. And the second part of that is to receive an update on the City of Lawrence American Rescue Plan funding recommendations and consider approving project recommendations. wants to start start on this uh good evening um commissioners and mayor um this is leah roseland affordable housing administrator and i will start off with the first item on this the agenda item um, to revisit the union at the loop project that was discussed at your december 6th meeting um, so at that meeting, um, as you recall, the commission awarded funding to all the affordable housing trust fund projects recommended by the Affordable Housing Advisory Board, except for the Union at the Loop project, um, for which additional information was requested regarding the developer fee. Um, I reached out to um, the annex group and have representatives here with me. Sam Hurley is on Zoom and is prepared to answer any questions. But in summary, um, so the gross developer fee is 4.4 million, and then approximately 3 million is deferred back into the project, which affordable housing developers um, have to um, defer their fees back into the project so that they can continue to do more affordable housing projects. And so while the overall fee is 11%, with the 3 million uh, contributed back into the project, um, the net developer fee is actually only about 3.5%. Um, so again, uh, Mr. Hurley is on Zoom and is prepared to answer any additional or more specific questions that the commission has regarding the developer fee or the project. Thanks, Lee. Um, just to give a little bit more clarification on that as well. Uh, so Kansas Housing and Resource Corporation 
they set development fees for affordable housing projects based on uh, the number of affordable housing units uh, that the project is providing to the to the community. Um, with our project, um, it's a larger transaction with 248 affordable units. Uh, therefore, our fee on a percentage basis is a little bit higher um, than than some of the other projects that went through the uh, the process uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I will add that um, that that is only half to, to what we uh, uh, read there. That is only about half the equation. Um, a good portion of that fee is uh, contributed back into the project um, in order to get the sources and uses to match, in order to get the the project to be an economically feasible uh, opportunity uh, for the community as well as for for us. Um, so that that that's the uh, the short of it. At, at the end of the day, uh, while it looks like a large fee, really um, only a small portion of that is is developer fee cash paid to us, and and of that fee um, that is paid to us, it's over a four to five year period, um, and is um, I'm the CFO at, at the NX Group. All of that fee goes directly back into the company to pay overhead salaries, uh, you know, rent, things like that to continue to uh, keep our organization running and to build additional afford affordable housing, uh, both in Kansas and throughout the country. So happy, happy to answer any questions uh, or, or discuss further. Any questions? I have one question. Um, can you give me a reason as to why this information wasn't provided with the original application as to how you do your developer fee? The original application uh, does include that information. Um, if you look at the sources and uses of the project, you can see uh, the developer fee broken out and also in the sources category, the deferred developer fee, uh, which represents our, uh, our contribution back into the project. Uh, so it, it may just, I think it was just a miscommunication and and, um, and, and, and not explained properly on the previous uh, conversation. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? We'll take it to public comment. Not public comment on this item in the, from the audience. Are we doing these two separately? Yeah, these are separate items. That <laughs> <laughs> um, is that okay? I'd rather do these separate. And do the public comment separate? Is that okay? It's fine with me. I'd like. So, any public comment on this item? Anybody on Zoom that wants to speak to this? No, Mayor. Okay, we'll bring it back up here for discussion. I had a couple of questions for. Leah, um, Leah, I know in some of the I know in some of the AHAP meetings this fall, there was conversation and maybe even earlier in regards to LIHTC projects and developers who have um, applications with um, KHRC and whether or not those approval of those applications are predicated on local funding, local support, and it seemed to be a back and forth about that. Can you provide some clarification, at least for me and for those who might be interested? LIHTC funding from the state is has no bearing on whether or not a local entity provides any type of incentives or support, does it or does it not? This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. 
So local support is a factor um, in the overall score um, that KHRC uses in, the, in their matrix. Um, but the local support does not need to be in hand or promise. Local support could be a letter of support. Um, so with some of the applicants, um, well, in fact, with um, all of the LIHTC applications that the Affordable Housing Trust um, fund, um, the Affordable Housing, uh, sorry, Advisory Board um, recommended none of those had received Affordable Housing Trust Fund awards from the City of Lawrence at the time um, of a LIHTC award. Um, two of those applications were awarded without City of Lawrence support. One of them was not. Um, so there, it is one factor that they look at is local support um, as well as local need, but it does not make or break or determine funding for a project. Okay, thank you for clarifying that for me. Any, any other discussion? I'm just making sure I understand the, this would be to approve this first motion if we're separating the two, it's just to approve the, the housing trust fund recommendation for 100,000. Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. So I have a couple of concerns. One is, well, the fee is one of them, and I'm not for sure as to, I'm, I'm concerned about how that was, how that's laid out. Um, and we don't see that in any, any of the developer fees that we were shown on the AHAB worksheet. And the thing I'm concerned about is the the size of the, the development. Because one thing that our plan 2040 really emphasized was the need for interspersed, and that's the word that was used, interspersed um, affordable housing throughout our community. And so early in conversations about the plan 2040, the idea uh, we heard a lot was scattered affordable housing, the need for that. And so we were um, welcome projects that bring to us mixed income type housing. Um, and this is 248, which I'm not saying we don't need, obviously. Uh, however, the fact that it is, from what I read, it's reserved for um, just one level of income, basically. I, I, I'm concerned that it doesn't meet the, the vision of our plan 2040. Um, when you have that many in one location, it doesn't really um, follow suit with the idea that we have requested interspersed um, type affordable housing or scattered affordable housing throughout our community. Mayor, I'll push back a little bit on that one. I think this is what, if you understand LIHTC projects, oftentimes they're multifamily level projects. We the state of Kansas hasn't really found that niche in regards to low density, moderate income, and LIHTC. So typical LIHTC projects are multifamily projects. So they are of, of this magnitude. It, it doesn't, it's not contrary. I don't think it runs, I know it doesn't run contrary to Plan 2040. The idea is that where the placement of this, and I think there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it from a cross section of how do you do interspartial mixed income housing within established communities as well as annex communities, as well as as you're doing infiller developments. How does that, where does that light or, or low to moderate income housing sit in proximity to other income level housing? So you're not going, you, you kind of cancel one out by saying, you can't have a light tech project without it being one multifamily a little bit more dense than other projects. And as and the key thing is 
key thing in understanding and planning and development is where is that project in proximity to other income. Now, if this was a LIHTC project that was put next to another LIHTC project, then I'd probably have a red flag. But in this case, this is a LIHTC project that is blended within a community that is of mixed income. And so it your your deduction doesn't really hold weight in this in this situation. I think this is a perfect project for this, and it fits the idea of bringing on board um, housing that we need for a very disparate population. Um, I think this project is sixty percent AMI, and just to give folks some thought about that, sixty percent AMI in Lawrence is roughly forty thousand dollars a year. So we're creating affordable housing for individuals who make about forty thousand dollars a year. So that's huge. So taking this off, taking this off the uh, the plate for consideration would really be doing our community a disservice. As far as the developer fee, that was something that sounds like the developer was able to work out and get approved with KHRC. I, I'm not one to to argue with that. The rationale was provided. It, it came back. We asked for that rationale before they were to receive, even be considered for AHAP funding. They've come back. We've received not only that information from Leah, but we've also received it from the developer as far as that was reconciled with uh, KHRC. I don't see any reason for us being a stopgap for that. Um, the only reason why I asked about the funding in relation to LIHTC, because I think, again, we're conflating things that to say that a developer can't get LIHTC dollars from the state unless they have local support. And I think it's important that the local support is there and it should be there. But I think developers can't continue to say, oh, if you if, if I don't have support from you, I'm not going to get LIHTC credits from the state. And that's not necessarily true. So I'm in. I'm on board with this project because it does the things that it needs to do at the time that we need them to do it at a cost that's going to be at a return on investment that's going to be way greater for our community than we can vote on tonight. Okay. Any other discussion? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would support it as well, but I just had a question regarding uh, for Leah for the affordable housing uh, board. Um, to Commissioner Seller's point, I know that there was discussion about shifting around the calendar so it would make it easier for developers to uh, get that approval before they went to KHRC. It, did anything come of that? I think that's still in discussion. Oh, it's still in discussion. Yeah, with AHAB. Okay. And Leah, well, you would know more. You're the liaison. Yeah, this is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. We did actually for 20, for this round, we had looked at their calendar and tried to align it as best we could. Um, and then that schedule was changed for KHRC. And so it's something that we're looking at and when we release the next NOFO um, to try and get them aligned as best as possible. Now, you know, that question about does local support need to come first before the application is submitted? Um, we see from, you know, the applicants that were awarded LIHTC that local support does not need to come before um, uh, the LIHTC um, is awarded. Um, or is it more appropriate for the LIHTC award to come first so that can be used as a factor locally in trust funds? That is, that's a discussion that the AHAB still needs to have, okay. it, as well as, you know, other um, grant cycle models. All right. I was just curious about that. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. All right. Any other discussion or comments? I, I'd only say I, um, I, I share some of the concerns you have, Mayor, but 
um, I'm willing to support the the uh, the the four hundred thousand in the in the Ahab recommendation um, as it came from from Ahab. Might have a different discussion when we get to the open funds. Getcha. All right. Any other, if there's no other discussion, ask for a motion. Move to approve the union at the Loop Affordable Housing Project for the 2023 Affordable Housing Trust Fund Award and authorize staff to draft an Affordable Housing Trust Fund Award agreements for city manager signature. Second. I have a first and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? Nay. Passes four to one. Okay, we're on to the second part of this item, which is to receive an update on City of Lawrence American Rescue Plan funding recommendations and consider approving project recommendations. Good evening, Mayor Commissioners. Uh, my name is Danny Walters, and I am with uh, Planning and Development Services in the Housing Initiatives Division. Um, what we have brought for you this evening is uh, the ARPA request that you first saw on December 6th. We took the comments that you gave us and um, really made some uh, some adjustments, some changes, and then and incorporated some additional information to, to some of these items. So um, just to kind of briefly go over, I won't go over every project again, since we did that pretty well in depth on the 6th, but um, you will see that we have updated number one. Number one originally came to you as um, uh, requesting funds for land for affordable potential for affordable housing developments. Um, we took the comments and uh, and feedback that we got from the commission and instead uh, brought a an option for um, some projects that have stopgap or that have gaps in the funding. So what we've uh, what we've attached to this would be the three. Um, affordable housing or advisory board projects for the housing trust fund that weren't fully funded. And then in addition, there are two items that were county ARPA funded that had um, construction gaps. So we've included those on there. You will see also that the, uh, the cost has gone up on including all of these. So um, as you guys look at those, if you have questions, we have invited the um, the project representatives from each of those projects to the meeting. Obviously, Leah is still here as well. So um, we can answer any particular questions that you might have on those. Um, just kind of looking on down, the only other changes for the affordable housing items were um, we did remove the tenants, tenant rights education item as well as the AmeriCorps item. Um, and looking at the the two that are left on the on the homelessness side of of, of what we're doing, um, and the numbers have changed a little bit. I know before we had four and, and eight, and, and and things have kind of shifted a little bit with with taking two of them out. So, in looking at four A and four B, that is going to be the the staffing that we had discussed at the December sixth meeting. Looking at that housing or the um, community engagement and communications professional. The straight outreach worker, and then we also did have a um, a line item under that big number eight last time that spoke to additional staffing support for emergency winter shelter and overflow shelter. So we actually just moved those into that same one. So we're kind of putting those staffing ones together. 
Um, I will I will note that the um, the part time staffing for winter emergency shelter and overflow shelter, um, as we're looking at what the um, what the staffing model will look like for the support site, those are positions that that we think can be interchangeable between between the projects that we have. So that's that's kind of a, a little bit of background, and we did add some narrative just on the on the 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 reasoning for for those positions. Um, in jumping down to item number six, which was formerly large item number eight, um, we uh, spent time on December 6th really outlining where our, our gaps and our needs were. And we had identified that there were several different types of shelters that we needed to that we needed to be addressing. Um, we uh, we brought the idea of the modular units for your consideration. And what we have done with this model is really kind of dug down to, to what that does really cost. Um, originally, there was also a piece in there to kind of get started on that family, um, youth and, and female sheltering component. But um, I will say, as we really started running numbers and looking at what will it take to do this and to do it properly and to get the right pieces in place to be able to to execute this it really did take the entire 4.5 million so um we have uh, we're committed to obviously still striving towards that longer term goal and looking at that family shelter looking at that that female and um and youth piece we do have other funding options coming online in the beginning of the year and those those can be really great um, great ones to look at to fund this type of project. So, so yeah, the um, we have broken down, um, which I, I think was a, also a request from the commission. Just a little more of what do the units cost? What are we looking at for operations? And what what does that site improvement piece look like? Um, I believe I believe that's that's the overview of, of what has changed on here. Um, happy to stand for any questions. As I said, Leah's here, and then also we have representatives from our our applicant our applicants for additional funding. So. Okay. Any questions? Any more questions on this? I, did, I had a question, Leah, on the modular unit, or I'm sorry, um, Danielle, on the modular units. We were looking at 75 one and two person units. What are those costs each? It depends. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe delivered. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that go into them and depending on 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 what the, the final company would be, you buy them in, in kits that you you get the unit and then you're also looking at getting heat, air conditioning. Um, let's see. There's some, there's other options in there as well, but the two person I believe runs around um, seventeen thousand all in, including including shipping and everything. The singular ones are more around fourteen. This particular proposal does include um, a uh, two community, the smaller community buildings for the village, as well as some additional restroom. Trailers uh, just best practices show how many restrooms you should have available per person. So, um, just enhancing what we already have for Woody. Okay, thank you, Danny. Thank you. 
Danny, in, in that piece, it, you, it shows that the lead time is eight weeks, but it's considerably shorter when not including restroom units. What What is that lead time without restroom units? And if we were to go to that, how are you proposing we <coughs> subsidize not having restroom units? Will we use the ones that we have that we use during the pandemic? Uh, Danny Walters, um, community development. I, I definitely would not suggest not doing the restroom trailers <laughs> with this. It was it was just to show the different lead times. Essentially, um, there's you know some companies that can have these out within a couple of weeks if there's no water units that that we're going with it. But that 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 would not be our suggestion. Our suggestion would be to to look at adding those restroom trailers. The um, depending on what company we go with, they typically are able to deliver right to your site. So we don't have to worry about storage. We can we can place an order and we can say on this date, we would like them in this location and they can, they can follow through with that. Okay. And then going back up to 4A, um, the contract positions, the mm -hmm. communication specialist and outreach provider, Based on the current staff that staff uh, that we have now, help me help me understand how these positions are operationalized currently in those day to day operations, or how how will it shift with adding these two positions? Danny Walters Housing Initiatives. Right now, we are we are heavily dependent on the city's communications team, and the work that we're doing in this space really is a full-time job just on its own. So right now, what, what that would allow us to do is essentially have somebody embedded right within the team that's also working with the city's communication team. And I, I, I believe that it will give us the opportunity for, for a lot of more robust communications that, that right now there's a lot of resources that are, that are are being thrown at, at the communications team. So this this would this would give us this would give us ours that that could pretty much solely be focused on homeless and housing initiatives. Um, for the outreach, um, our team has has really been in the trenches of of outreach, and that's that's certainly not what we brought them in for. And what we want to do is to be able to provide some relief to them to help to, to work with the folks in these camps and help work with our other providers locally that can help get services to the folks that we're trying to help. So it's it's it would it would facilitate what our team is spending a lot of hours out there doing now. Okay. I'm gonna come back to the commission, the communication specialist. <laughs> so tell we we really haven't received a lot of information on the these small workers. So if this individual is embedded into that work, what is that looking like? How's that going to what value add is that going to bring to this work that we're doing right now? Danny Walters, housing initiatives. Um, the SMORE team actually is is in reference to the application that we have with the Kansas Statewide Homeless Coalition right now for additional funding. 
that will not be available to us until, if awarded, until mid next year. <laughs> so this particular position in this ask was was meant more to um, to gap where we are now to receiving that funding and being able to implement the SMORE team because the SMORE team is not something that we have right now. It's something that we're anticipating at the middle of next year. Okay. Does that answer your question? It does. So, yeah, I, I'm going to want to read on that a little bit more. Um, so back to the communication specialist. So we, we said that this is someone that needs to be embedded within the HID. Mm -hmm. So walk me back. The, the end goal for this, per, is, for this position is to do what? Danny Walters Housing Initiative. Um, the, the, the end goal is certainly to get information out to the public in as, as real time as we can. It'd be somebody working directly with our team and also working with the communications team to, to ensure that, that, you know, we're, if something's happening, if there's information that needs to go out to the public, that's certainly going to be their main job. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Um, real quick, just want to go back to your answer. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Sellers on, on, on 7A related to the, you know, the bathroom units. Um, we all going to use the ones we have plus more, correct? Danny Walters housing initiatives. Correct. Yes. Yeah. We're absolutely going to utilize the items that, that we purchased for Woody. Yeah. Thank 100%. you. 100%. <laughs> So I had a couple questions on um, the uh, the proposal as to how it's going to be funded as far as operations go. Did I read that correctly? That um, it's still going to need additional funding beyond this for the first year of operations, or is that dollar amount included here in the two point three million? Danny Walters Housing Initiatives. So um, that operations. There's there's a lot of factors that are going to play into how far we can stretch that. Um, it's going to depend on vendor selection because this is not something that our team is going to take on in terms of operations. So um, it 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 certainly could last multi year. Um, unfortunately, I mean that's unfortunately that's that's the best I can do at this time until we identify what that staffing model looks like. Um, we certainly want to go by best practices. The, the idea would be to have, uh, you know, we, we've actually factored in offices into the unit ask, and that is so we can have a lot of those services on site. And a, a lot of that is just gonna, is gonna depend on who we end up with as a provider and as a vendor. Okay, thank you. I apologize for not having a better. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's okay. So we're looking at one property somewhere uh, where we're going to either buy or lease. Is that correct? Correct. Buy yes. Or lease? Okay. We uh, we're looking at um, we're looking at things that already have the utilities and the infrastructure available because these villages really are just supposed to be able to be put up quickly and and put into place. So we are looking for for something that already has those additionally are what we would want to see happen is for this to to turn into one of those longer term solutions. 
we yeah. we we don't want to be looking all over all over town and 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 doing multiple multiple you know type things when we can just use you know one space for the medium term and then turn that into a longer term that's that's always been our goal to be able to do that okay who is going to put these together once we get them delivered to the site that is well that will be part of what we bring back to you all as these project components are are getting into place because i i foresee this coming back to you probably several times one with land one with looking at the operations and then once we settle on a vendor um having them come in and give a demonstration of of exactly how this works um I, these have been done several different ways in other communities um you know, some of them have local schools that assist. Some of them, there, there's one one in particular where, you know, a large amount of city workers got together on a weekend and put an entire village up. I think that it can be a a really a really cool community community type event to really rally around something like this and to be able to put this this type of project really in in motion. Okay. Okay. Um, I had one more question. Let me think of what it was. Um, no, I can't remember. Any other questions? And we're going to take it to public comment. Dean, uh, members of the Lawrence City Commission, my name is Krista Kiger. Uh, my family and I moved to Douglas County a year ago from St. Joseph, Missouri because of my wife's job change. In St. Joseph, Missouri, I was the Executive Director of Community Missions Corporation, a HUD-funded agency that provides transitional and permanent supportive housing for men who are experiencing chronic homelessness and also street outreach case management for men and women experiencing chronic homelessness. I'm here to speak in favor of going forward with part six of the homeless and affordable housing funding recommendations entitled Modular Shelter Project. I have met with your city staff to share a similar proposal we developed in St. Joseph. Men and women who experience chronic homelessness are often also struggling with mental health issues and or substance abuse disorders. Often these individuals have untreated trauma and have experienced such long periods of homelessness that they have difficulty being successful in a congregate shelter site. As helpful as congregate emergency shelters are, a cot, swarm space, on-site case management, they aren't necessarily equipped to address some core issues with many of our residents who are chronically homeless, such as the need to feel safe, the need to protect whatever possessions they have, the need to have a safe place for their animals who are often protection and companionship, and the need for time to decompress and breathe, take a break from the incredibly stressful life that is chronic homelessness. Permanent supportive housing means that there is wraparound case management services provided to a person experiencing long-term homelessness. When an agency both owns the facilities and provides on-site case management, it results in one of the best practices to helping people stay housed. 
because you don't have here in Lawrence enough permanent supportive housing, this modular shelter proposal gives you possibly a five to 10 year window to provide that kind of housing in these modular shelter bedrooms while you look to build some other kinds of permanent supportive housing. And one last issue I want to point out HUD has suggested that it cost a community around $35,000 a year for every person who is homeless. Those costs involve things like using the emergency room as primary care, encounters with the police, court costs, environmental costs, along with costs to businesses that may feel impacted. If you have, say, 90 people who are chronically homeless, it is costing that community $3.1 million every year. Once you have a village set up, it will cost half of that amount to provide the housing and services. Providing housing for folks who are experiencing homelessness, Time. besides being morally and ethically responsible, is fiscally responsible to other public comment <clears throat> good evening mayor and commissioners and staff my name is bonnie Lowe. i'm the president and ceo of the uh, chamber of commerce in lawrence i'm going to start first by thanking you for your service it's been a challenging year with all kinds of um different things thrown in your way and you always approach things through the lens of making Lawrence a better place. I appreciate your service and I know it's not easy. We'd like to have a consideration um, for you all tonight for a broader use of ARPA funds. We would like to look at helping to solve this, the housing crisis we have faced in Lawrence for the past several, several years. This is not a situation of your doing, but I think we have an opportunity to maybe uh, look at a, a broader way to use some um, ARPA funds. We don't have a luxury of time due to the anticipated Panasonic plant along with the suppliers coming to our community. And at the chamber in our, in our business community, we're also very cognizant of the challenges of our existing workforce with our businesses. We respectfully request that you consider using a portion of the ARPA funds, roughly $3 million, to extend infrastructure west of the South Lawrence traffic way, using these funds in 2023 and 2024 as required by ARPA guidelines. Alternately, um, we are requesting that uh, that perhaps you consider not earmarking all $8.3 million of ARPA funds tonight, and we'd be happy to work together with you for a more detailed plan. We feel the opportunity to find solutions to our housing crisis in all price ranges, which includes affordable housing, helps our citizens with jobs, quality of life, and self-sustainability. We appreciate that a portion of the $446 million in CIP funds through 2027 aid with the expansion of projects west of the SLT, such as widening and also the 6th Street interchange. There are also some very worthy projects, in our opinion, that are on the unfunded CIP list. The Chamber is recommending that we take a broader approach using these resources to leverage housing solutions for many people across our community. 
This action would also send a strong message that the city is a valued partner to move forward to identify solutions for our housing crisis in an expeditious manner. Again, in closing, thank you so much for your consideration and thank you for the service of our, of our community. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. I'm Bobby Flory with the Lawrence Home Builders Association. I'd like to address the remaining ARPA funds and how they're being proposed to be used. The purpose of the ARPA funds is a broad one, but it's also part of it is clear in that the, the funds were given to local cities to help them invest in their sewer, water, and broadband infrastructure. The first half of the ARPA funds were used for structured gap funding in the in the, bud, in the budget. Um, I talked to city management staff at that time and they said that they had hired, the city has hired a consultant to help identify some other opportunities to help fund infrastructure that are um, maybe from grants. And so I'm wondering if that has actually happened. Are there grants that have been identified and is there a consultant that's active, actually actively working on that? Now we're looking at the second half, essentially, of those ARPA funds. The proposal is to spend the remaining funds on subsidized housing and trying to address shelter for homeless. Um, I don't think any of us would ever deny that there are not worthy projects and important things to, to consider and to work on as a community. However, I feel like the ask that I'm here tonight is for the ARPA funds to be used on infrastructure as we expand westward. We came to the City Commission in May of 2021 and brought five growth scenarios, one of which seemed to kind of stand out among the others, and that is to go west, westward, west of the SLT. And that is where that I propose that we spend the remaining ARPA funds, um, not just to throw out and, and pay for some of the infrastructure, not to get that money back to the city, but to create a benefit district. And when that benefit district is created, then as that larger area develops, that gets paid back to the city. That money, that investment comes back to the city. So I think that's a, a critical difference in what I'm suggesting, and as opposed to paying for a smaller amount of subsidized housing units. Obviously, we need the housing units, but I would also say that we need all kinds of housing use, units in a different in addition to subsidized housing units. Um, one of the things in the list is proposed for $75,000 to another housing needs assessment study. I, I would say that is a waste of money at this point because we did the housing study in 2018. We knew we needed housing. We knew we needed all kinds of housing. And the only thing that's changed is now we need more of it than what we had needed in 2018. So I don't really see the value right now of spending $75,000 on doing another housing assessment. Um, I went, as I was preparing for this, I went back through my... Bobby, thank you very much. Thank you. Other public comment on this item? <coughs> Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Danielle Davey, Governmental Affairs Director for the Lawrence Board of Realtors. Um, 
The Board of Realtors supports the request made by the Chamber this evening. Um, I think we can all agree that there is a broad housing need in the community, and I, I absolutely agree with Ms. Flory's comments. I think you all know that there's a broad housing need in the community. And the Board of Realtors absolutely supports all of the affordable housing initiatives uh, and, and supports the work that our community partners are doing to advance the excuse me, those initiatives. But we shouldn't forget about the population in Lawrence that uh, don't qualify for subsidized housing, that missing middle, if you will, that uh, is increasingly becoming cost burdened as well. And so we have a really unique opportunity with the ARPA funds to create a community investment uh, in housing development opportunities through, uh, through investment in infrastructure that will impact the broader community and help with the housing problem on a broader scale. And so we uh, would agree with, with the recommendation of the chamber and ask that the commission consider that tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Other public comment? Hi, I'm Chris Flowers. I didn't come prepared to speak on this, but I wanted to echo a previous um, speaker's point that I, I mean, I, I don't know what the deal is, but I am completely against 75000 for another housing study. Um, we need more housing. Um, prices are kind of high. I mean, we. I, I just think that 75000 is just going to tell us something we already know. So also, I, I think um, that if, if we talk about infrastructure, I think like homeless shelters, um, um, housing for the homeless, I, I think that is infrastructure itself. So uh, just something to think about. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Other public comment? Uh, <clears throat> Rich Minder, I wanted to uh, give you an update on um, the project that I presented uh, December 6th. Um, we're in conversation with a, a project development um, firm, um, that we learned from uh, one of the um, architects that we've been consulting with uh, to work uh, to take us to the next step in that project. Uh, and I would like to advocate for um, infrastructure, uh, but um, keep in mind that, um, in my opinion, investing in uh, some of the most vulnerable families in our community uh, with that infrastructure uh, is, is, is critical. Um, and sometimes hard assets can become something that invests in human capital if you do it just right. And we think our, par our proposal does that. Thank you. Any other public comment on this item? Go to Zoom. Is there a public comment on Zoom? <laughs> Bring it back up here for just. I'm sorry, we had to turn on late. Oh, you're on mute. Sorry about that. Hi, my name is Frankie Foster, and I'm the project director with Homeworks USA. And I did submit a proposal in the public comments 
to request 250,000 in ARPA funding to support construction of affordable rental housing for emerging adults aging out of foster care. And that housing is located, would be look is located at 26050 Chieftain Road in Lawrence, Kansas. I do appreciate the opportunity to speak to the mayor and the commission. And you have before you some very thoughtful proposals to address some of the housing needs in Lawrence. And as a resident of Lawrence, I appreciate the commission taking time to consider other proposals before making a final decision on the allocation of ARPA funding. Before I dive into my discussion of our project, I want to mention um, a few things that I think we all agree on and I've heard mentioned tonight. One is construction costs have increased. Two is there, the creation of affordable housing has not kept pace with the need for it. Three, there's a difference between surviving and thriving. And four, we owe it to young people who have been in the foster care system to support them beyond age 18 so that they can thrive as adults. It's exciting to see so many initiatives springing up around the country um, for emerging adults aging out of foster care, and most have a vision of providing affordable housing. We applaud tenants to homeowners here in Lawrence for dedicating affordable housing to uh, this group and acknowledge the efforts <laughs> of the Public Housing Authority for its transitional housing. Uh, the Homeworks USA community has been under construction since 2019, and it's unique in that it provides a longer runway for its residents. Emerging adults between the ages of 18 and 26 can choose to rent this affordable housing in this community. And in the three and a half years that we have been working on this project, we have raised all of our funding through private philanthropic grants and individual donations. We have raised enough money to clear the land to support 15 single occupancy housing units, to bring water to the property, to install a septic system, to take care of storm water, um, to bring high-speed internet to each home. Now, with rising costs and supply chain problems, we have still been able to build 10 units and are currently working on these interior finishes. And we've a We've um, proven our ability to stay the course. The request is a small amount of available ARPA funding, but it is very important to us because as we finish the houses, we still need to finish the final grading, the concrete uh, flat work for the sidewalks, parking, and we need to get the site lighting in place. With the investment that we're asking Hi. for. Frankie, thank you very mm -hmm. much. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment on Zoom? Nicholas Ward. Um, thank you. I'm just uh, double checking that this is the item that uh, I'm speaking to. We're talking about the ARP funding dollars, right? And the, uh, the allocation of those. Yes, that's correct. Nicholas. Okay. Just, just double checking. I was reading through the packet. A lot of pages, but um, I just wanted to chime in for a second. Thank you, Frankie, for the shout out. If um, if you all haven't seen the work that Frankie is doing, um, it's just out near TP Junction. It's a really great project for young adults transitioning out of um, foster care, and uh, I think you'd be impressed by the work. But 
Um, my name is Nicholas Ward. I'm the assistant director at Tenants to Homeowners. And I just wanted to speak about the proposed allocation of American Rescue Plan funding for the purpose of creating permanently affordable housing with an emphasis on permanently affordable. Uh, we're in a unique moment with the ARP funding. Douglas County has committed several million to the acquisition of land uh, for the purpose of developing affordable housing. These acquisition funds uh, require and anticipate that a number of the funded units um, that would be created by tenant homeowners would host supportive services for individuals transitioning out of homelessness, houselessness, um, and those needing it successfully housed. It's wonderful to see the city of Lawrence taking this opportunity to put forth ARP funding for this purpose as well. Um, and it would also benefit the land that we've recently purchased via those um, allocated county ARP funds. Uh, in the last year, Tennessee homeowners has acquired several properties um, with support from Douglas County. Um, with many lots acquired, our next challenge is obtaining funding for the development of these permanently affordable units. If allocated, this funding from the city of Lawrence would allow for TTH to develop new permanently affordable, energy efficient, and accessible units on some of the lots recently acquired through county ARPA or ARP funding. The document within your packet mentions two lots on Ward Street, uh, currently owned by tenants to homeowners, and a larger future development known as Castled on the Curve uh, that will be developed as a partnership between tenants to homeowners and Lawrence Habitat for Humanity. The two sites mentioned are examples of places where funds could be used to develop this much needed permanently affordable housing. There are also numerous other lots which would benefit from this funding. Consideration for placement of units funded through this allocation would be determined by regular development processes and timelines and would also consider where and how funding could best be leveraged to create the greatest number of interspersed affordable units for our community. TTH is currently working with community partners to develop homes that are smaller than 600 square feet. These smaller homes are one of the innovations needed to meet the express need for um, that's being expressed in our community right now. These units are being developed to meet the need of singles, seniors, individuals needing full accessibility, and individuals who require supportive services, including those transitioning out of houselessness. Um, so just wanted to give, give support for that. Um, allocation going towards permanently affordable housing. And of, of course, based on what's in the packet or what I've said, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Nicholas. Mm -hmm. Any other public comment online? <laughs> no, Mayor. Okay, we'll bring it back to the commission for a discussion. Who would like to begin? Um, I have a question on number two. Uh, it says up to 600,000. Um, and I'm not sure who to direct this one to. And it's for um, DECA transitional housing for women and children. I just wanted a little bit more clarification on that one. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. And I'm not sure if Lori is on to take any questions. Um, so <laughs> um, the, oh, she is, excellent. Um, so um, Lori might wanna speak to this in more detail, um, but essentially the original $600,000 request um, was 
um, to match the county support of the project. So by contributing 200,000 that was awarded in the affordable housing trust funds, plus the 600,000 um, that is being recommended for art funds would total the county contribution of $800,000 towards this project. Um, and it says up to 600,000 um, based on what is available in the budget, um, they are still doing fundraising for that project. And Lori, I don't know if you want to give any additional comment. Lori Alvarado, CEO at DECA Incorporated, and we are still in the fundraising phases of the project. We um, talked with Leah and her staff about the obligation for the county funds and um, the up to 600000 was really the, count, uh, the city talking about what available funds are. So um, I believe that was the idea was as Leah said, to match what is already pledged by the county so that we have um, both city and county funds going into this uh, public-private public partnership for housing. Okay. Any other questions? questions? Yeah. Danny, a couple of questions. Um, with the modular, we talked about that's getting us back to it being one location and the the fact that this could be, this is going to be temporary, but it's a stop, it, it's a perceived stopgap. Are we thinking that the modular units will, will be specifically for women, children, families? Are we thinking about sectioning it off so that there's you know, a family section, an individual section or whatnot, help. What are we thinking that's gonna look like? I think that that's something that we, we still can work with um, depending, you know, potentially on what, what vendor and what provider that we have. Um, the, the, the really nice things about these types of, of, of units is that we can look at this first phase as that kind of three to five year as our supportive housing is getting built. And then these, these units are mobile. We can transition them to, to other projects. We can, we can change around how the, how the village looks. There's, there's a lot of opportunity, but, but we can definitely, as we're, as we're looking at what does that village look like? we can look at doing kind of that sectioning that sectioning off of uh, uh for for different okay different um, categories so okay so then i'm i know we kind of talked around it but i don't i don't remember either getting a solid answer or at least a, an answer that made me think that i didn't ask this before so by bringing a communication specialist on by adding that that outreach support individual bringing that onto the hid team do, does that complete your team or complete the team to continue to move work forward danny walters um housing initiatives it's a critical part of the team um i it's it's hard it's hard to answer that just based on the fact that the the staff is in a space by doing a lot of outreach and by actually being hands-on with administration of a lot of those projects, that's not anticipated. Um, 
I would like to say, yeah, the getting a communication person in here and getting that s'more team and and bringing in our community partners rounds out what we need. Um, it's it is really hard to say until we 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 get them out of out of kind of the trenches of of what they've been working on. Okay. I apologize. I, I no, wish I had a, a better answer. No. no, that's 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 fair and honest. And Commissioner, may, may I add to that um, response? I, I I'd like to say also that the <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know we're continue to adapt to what we're experiencing and what we're building. And um, we're not alone as a community. There's communities like this that are or that are in uh, similar phases. What we definitely need to be communicating a lot better is how the complex, complex the system is. While we're addressing those that are experiencing houselessness, that's one piece. Uh, it's alluded to by the chamber's remarks that we have a whole continuum of housing needs. We're, we're communicating in very small segments about this very complex system that has a lot of partners in it. We have a lot of partners that are doing heroic work that have been added a long time. Uh, those are not for profits. Those are also our government, other government agencies at multiple levels, particularly uh, Douglas County. Um, we need to be communicating with our community about how all of these pieces fit together and where we're trying to go as a community, because it's really important work and it's very complex work. So some of the stuff that Ms. Walters is trying to communicate is trying to plug in a piece that's not working well and communicating about this new space that the city is in, even though others have been operating for a long time in it. But we need to really start communicating how this systems approach affects everything from market rate housing to social services to, um, to you know, the work that we're trying to build right now with a storm approaching for those that are unhoused. It's all connected. And I think, I know everybody here knows that, but we're, we don't have dedicated the resources that are helping tell that story. And we see these funds as a way for us to start to tell that story again in partnership with all the other agencies that are a piece of this. And I appreciate that. I, I don't think there's anything that you said that I personally didn't know already, but it does take re reiterating and that's what we need to have. And, and no means that my questions are meant to diminish the work of what our housing initiatives division is doing. I think what I'm what I want us to get to to that very point, Danny, is to start thinking of what are the the pieces that are missing within this system to continue to build the momentum to build momentum and to make this work successful. So my questions are not a dig. I would never do that because um, I've been in that I've been in that spot. You know, working for the state. You know, there, there's more gloom and glory but i just i want us to be i want to ensure that we are giving you resources and space to to ask those difficult questions to to to, to be in a space to engage in those conversations with your team so that you do understand where those value gaps are and how do we how do we get that how do we build that up for you because i want this to be successful not because we're in a crisis and our community is now realizing something that's been living under the current for quite a long time but so that we can do the work right and, and do it in excellence and do it in the spirit of what makes Lawrence unmistakable. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, other, my other, I have, these are just kind of discussion pieces, comments that I have. So I'll yield to him as 
questions. Um, any other questions? I, I had one, and I, I was one I couldn't remember before. With the modular housing um, units, will we be able to um, get rid of or have a discussion about the ordinance down at the Wilds Camping downtown? Will that allow us to do that? Randy or? Or not? Randy, are you online? Sure. I am. I didn't quite catch that that question. Yeah, I was. I was uh, with the modular units that we're proposing. Will that allow us to um, get rid of the ordinance for downtown camping? <laughs> you, you know that. You know the, the downtown camping or whatever is 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 separate from that so you could get rid of that camping ordinance and have the modular units or have the the ordinance and the modular units but so that's that's totally within the city commission's discretion okay thank you no more questions how about um we, any discussions on this we've had several proposals come before us along with the staffing we've got the infrastructure Success by six project, the homeworks project. Um, is there any interest in discussing any of those or just focusing on the um, proposal by staff? Well, I'm, I'm fully behind the 4A and 4B. It's, uh, as we've seen recently, we've got some spaces that we need help. So, um, but, uh, yeah, and um, I could see the conversation on five on the housing needs assessment and marketing analysis. Uh, but uh, I, I like number six as well, and number one um, for getting that property. And uh, I was glad for the clarification on number two. Okay. A quick question. Um, with the updated numbers for one of course that's for the idea was to utilize this to provide that gap funding or probably missed opportunity for funding that didn't happen in ahab so i guess my question is now that awards for these three developers have been awarded ahab dollars have been awarded to them is there anything stopping these projects from moving forward without arpa gap funding i just want that to be clarified This is Leah Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, the Union at the Loop project is um, already underway, and that will move forward with or without ARP funds, is my understanding. Um, the Estates of Lawrence, originally the Wheatland Group had communicated that the project would not be able to move forward without full trust funds funding that they had requested. Um, when I spoke with them, um, when the partial award recommendation was made, they said that they would be happy to accept that, but they did follow up with a question of when the next opportunity to apply for trust funds would be, um, because in the AHAB discussion, 
of partial uh, partial funding recommendations for all the LIHTC projects. Um, the AHAB simultaneously had a discussion about opening up another round of funding as soon as possible and inviting all of those applicants to come back and request um, additional funds to make up the difference, essentially. Um, and um, in terms of the New Hampshire Street Loss Project, um, that project does not currently have um, LIHTC awards. And so um, it, the project is very much dependent on that as well. Okay. And with the AHAB group, they, if they're talking about reopening up another NOFO, do we know timeline-wise, timeline when you expect that to occur? That hasn't been decided yet. At their last meeting, the AHAB decided to form a task force to look more closely at the application, the, um, the grant cycle, and all of those details. It would anticipate that that would happen in the late spring or early summer with the intention of doing another round in 2023 um, if, if funds are made available through a budget amendment. Right. And so based on the awards this year, did that exhaust, did the, did the awards for this year exhaust all AHAB dollars? Um, yes, the, the um, 2023 budgeted um, trust funds were fully awarded in round one. Okay. What's our balance on the, the trust fund? I thought we had about 2.3 million still in the trust fund. That is correct. Um, and so um, if the AHAB or the commission was interested in doing a budget amendment um, to be able to expend some of those funds, that is um, a discussion that that's part of the upcoming discussion that the AHAB will have and would be interested in commission thoughts about that as well. So do we have any policy on what sort of balance, fund balance they need to maintain to make sure we are healthy on that? Yes, I believe that Jeremy um, can provide some additional details about what needs to be held. He's available. This is Jeremy Wilmoth, Director of Finance. Uh, the fund balance policy that you all adopted a few years ago uh, declared this a um, minor special revenue fund. And so with that, uh, the reserve requirement is only 60 days of operating expenditures. Trying to pull up the budget just one second. The 2023 budget was adopted uh, with 1.6 million in appropriations, making the reserve about $273,000. Uh, there's currently about 1.7 million available based on the budget document, uh, but we believe that the fund balance number may change slightly. So uh, as we discuss in the first quarter budget adjustment, there may be uh, a little bit more money um, available once we uh, finish, finalize the books for 2022. Thank you. 
So is there any interest, to discuss, interest in discussing any of these other items that were brought up? Or again, I just ask, are we wanting to focus on the list provided by staff at this time? Uh, yeah, I'm interested. Um, talking about the Dula Central Hispano um, project. You know, I would say, I would say, you know, um, to talk about the the severe need for affordable housing and and workforce housing, um, and you know the proposal brought forth by the chamber and um, others, um, home builders, realtors. I am in full support that we need to be, um, you know, expanding our housing. Um, Panasonic has made that clear, um, and but we knew that beforehand. Come back around on the housing needs assessment, but I agree that it's clear that we need it. Um, I am not in favor of using ALPA money to do that, but I am in favor of using um, other means. We have several other means in the city to do that and I'm excited to have those opportunities I know some of those discussions are ongoing um, and so I'm excited to support those projects uh, but I don't necessarily support using ALPA money for those projects um, as it as it relates to what's before us I would you know I, I'm generally in support of what the staff has recommended I appreciate the move towards the construction of affordable housing because I think that is important um, I would, I'm not a fan of funding the additional money on the union annex, the annex union on the loop. I'd be interested in reallocating that $350,000 to the Dula Central Hispano project. Um, I, I do support the, the DECA boat dash, you know, 4A, 4B. I, I do not think we need to do the housing needs assessment at this time from the ALPA money. If that's something we decide, we funded originally from AHAB. If we decide at some point we need that, I think we can look at AHAB funding for that. Um, and as for the modulus shelter project, you know, to me that 4.5 million really is a placeholder at the moment. You know, we don't know exactly what that's going to be. I mean, I know we need to use some funds to start acquiring some of the units, but exactly how much we're going to spend on some of those, um, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion left to be had on that. But I certainly support the project. I support getting the more details. I support staff moving aggressively ahead to, to figure that out. Um, and so generally I, I support, but I'd, I'd make... I would eliminate five, put that money aside, um, and we can, you know, there'll be other times to talk about ALPA funding. There might be other needs that arise. Um, um, and then I'd probably make that one change on the um, affordable housing construction part. Okay. Any others? Jeremy, is the 8.45 that says, as that is listed as a total, that's what is av that's currently what is available to us to allocate, correct? Correct. Jeremy Wellman, finance director. So um, the 8.45 is what we thought would be available when we were writing the budget. Um, the new number is um, a little, uh, it's around 10 million. Uh, again, we won't know until we finalize expenditures for 2022. Right. Uh, we're targeting six million of the ARPA funds to bridge the revenue to expense gap in the general fund in 2022. If we do need to use that entire six million, we'll have about 10 million left 
um, after uh, after the investment earnings that we that we've uh, earned so far. Um, and then the 2023 budget was programmed with 1.2 million of that 10 million. Um, so if you consider that an earmark, there's roughly 9.1 million uh, in the pot right now. The 9.1 million, does that include the allocation for 2023? That one point? No, that would be excluding the 1.2 uh, million needed for operations, um, but that 9 million is inclusive of what's in the 2023 budget. Okay. Okay. Thoughts? Um, I'll kick off. I know this uh, today, and I'm. I, I didn't. I wasn't able to view the meeting, but I did receive the notes from the Spark Committee, and I was a little disappointed in what our state legislators and this committee has decided to do with the remaining 374 million that our state has in ARPA dollars. And I think they kind of haphazardly listen to the needs of the communities. Um, so many municipalities and organizations in regards to addressing what the state and what our state legislators need to do to address affordable housing um, really spoke to clear strategies that could have been used to support local governments to help them leverage their dollars. Um, I think Commissioner Fingold, I speak, spoke to that and I, and I speak to it as well. I would, in any other circumstance, I would have loved to have used additional ARPA dollars to spread and create more diverse um, funding um, across the different aspects of affordable housing. Because again, we do need modern income housing. I do, we, we speak to that. If I don't think people really understand what affordable housing is in our community. And like I said, 60% AMI or adjusted income in our community for one person is $40,000. And that's considered low income. So there's a lot of people walking around who don't realize they are low income. Um, and so the need for low income housing, as well as for modern income housing for folks who make about 60 to $80,000 is definitely needed here. I don't think it's gonna be, it's not gonna be solved with local ARPA dollars. It needs to be solved with state funding. We have over a half a billion dollars in reserves and our state legislators that are not listening to communities and hearing them out. That is an easy way to be able to support and leverage our dollars to do infrastructure. Every community says it, we can find a developer that will have the land, plot the land, but it's that infrastructure piece that is needed, that it could be a value add and a benefit to communities. So I, this is not just a plea to our legislators locally, but it's just to our legislators across the state that if you want to help communities address affordable housing across the spectrum, permanent, supportive, low income, affordable, workforce, that mi missing middle, we need them to start leveraging, helping us leverage dollars, um, leverage the dollars that we have. Um, to that point, high level needs, uh, 4A and 4B I am in support of. I'd like to see the 75,000 for the needs assessment. That wasn't, to my knowledge, how I read and interpreted the report, that this wasn't a need assessment that we were doing this year. This would be earmarked for 2024 we can utilize, we can uh, reabsorb those dollars and use them elsewhere. Um, I am in support of um, utilizing um, the modular funding to get that groundwork going. We need it. We need to do this now. 
no more camps, no more ground, no more shoddy tents. We we need to get something going, and that's our way of doing it. And that's we need to put that 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 infrastructure into place. Um, The Burt Nash and DECA pieces, uh, those are gap pieces. We didn't really have anybody here from Burt Nash to speak. I don't know if they're online. If they are, I'd like to hear from them. Um, as far as the reimagined number for the affordable housing construction, um, I'm of the mind of Commissioner Finkeldye to kind of pull back that $350,000. We heard of two. We heard two individuals speak about two unique pro projects in our community um, that address housing, but health. And I know that we don't have public health per se um, in our strategic plan, um, but it speaks to housing and health being social determinants that make people successful. And when you have marginalized communities that have been divested in for years. Sometimes what's at stake, there needs to be variances at this point in order to bring them up so that they're able to see the fruits of, of the, be able to have the benefits that other communities have not had. And this is a quite of a unique project that just needs this seed money to make it happen. It's the same for Miss um, Frankie Foster and a project for children aging out of homelessness. These are all or these are all groups that one may perceive will think they could benefit from affordable housing, but they don't. And they need these, you know, and having a community that speaks in housing, that speaks to that population, gives them a sense of ability to be successful in our community, to be successful taxpayers, to be successful um, cohorts in the work that we're doing. So um, I'd like to see you know, utilizing that 75K and that 350 to, you know, perhaps um, split some funding between those two projects. Um, you know, again, I'd like to hear from someone from Burt Nash in regards to that project, but I'm on board with 4A, 4B, uh, reabsorbing that 75K to add to that 350K to split between um, the success, the Douglas County doulas and home builders, and moving forward with the modular project. Um. So to to go back to uh, Jeremy, so is that gap between the eighty eight point four and the nine million is that pretty certain of about roughly five hundred thousand? That would be available to us. Jeremy Wellman, finance director. Um, unfortunately, nothing is really certain now. So uh, at the year end, you know, um, we at the city are um, an accrual-based system. And so we have to start accounting for expenditures that may actually occur next year, but um, under accounting rules need to be charged to the current year uh, and vice versa with revenue. And so until all of that plays out, um, it's really difficult for me to say, this is absolutely how much we think we're gonna spend We'll have a better uh, estimate of that in February. Um, and so that's why I'm saying what we're projecting right now, based on the data that we have available to us today, we believe that the uh, amount of ARPA that will be available at 1231, uh, audited 1231, 2022, is uh, just over 10.3 million. I had a quick question for Commissioner Sellers. Um, I'm just trying to make sure I understand 
what parts you're wanting to support. Yeah. You spoke about the 350,000 that weren't interested in being given to the union to just split that up between the other programs that were brought forth. Yeah. So if you add that to the 75K that we pull back for the housing needs assessment, that puts us at about 425. So we could allocate some of that between those two projects if we wanted to, or at least entertain a discussion. Okay. The homeworks and the doulas. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. Commissioner Little John, you were okay with pretty much everything. How about you, Commissioner? Um, uh, yeah, I, I can be on board with that. Um, only a couple things I might want to say is <clears throat> in terms of the infrastructure funding that um, the groups that came have asked us about um, and, and some of those items that I know that they've been interested in for a while, um, while they are um, slated uh, further in the future than they're asking, which I, if I understand what they're asking is to move them up to 2023 20, or 24. I guess what I'd like to clarify with staff was, you know, we have something earmarked in 2024 or 25, but we find that um, investing in a larger infrastructure project that would create an opportunity, such as has been indicated by um, some of our interest groups, a project came forward, we would have the latitude or staff without a latitude to, to indicate to us that those kinds of infrastructure dollars that we've talked about in years future could be moved up. Yes, anybody with the MSO can correct me, but um, it, we, we've been looking at what infrastructure extensions there would need to be, as well as our you know deep investments in existing infrastructure and the overhaul of our existing systems. And we, we believe we've um, allocated resources to do both. Um, it, there would need to be, obviously, where we, where we, when we know where and which direction and specifically what's needed, then those are, those are things that we could shift. Um, but we, we do think that we have resources uh, within the capital improvement plan to do that. Um, the only uh, small, and, and I hope maybe someone from staff could or follow up with the home builders, Bobby, about um, how we're identifying grant projects. It's too much to talk about right now because we've had a book report on it before. Uh, but just to maybe uh, send her an email or indicate what it is we're looking at. And I know also Bonnie has asked me in the past uh, about the ongoing um investment that we've made in grants that will be coming forward in the future and who we've, who we've hired to watch those weekly, if I understand correctly. I just wanted to be sure I was responsive to your questions. Yeah, because we're doing that now. We, we, ha we, we have hired a grant yes, we organization, correct? Okay, doing that. Okay. So, um, you know, I am definitely in favor of number six because we need to get something going although it's we are very light on specifics about it that really concerns me um but as i think commissioner pinkled i said it's kind of an earmark at this point as we get more information on it but i, I am real concerned about that that as well as when we build this is something obviously going to be very brand new for the kansas area um are we going to attract additional um 
community homeless um, individuals to come to our community it, it in and I don't you know want that to sound crash but it's just that's a real problem it's it's a problem we definitely want to take care of you know, our you know who we have here in Lawrence but we sure cannot handle a continued influx that we've been seeing I, it, we just don't have the bandwidth no the, the support systems aren't there um, the obviously the fundings um, difficult, but I do support this. And, and as we get more information, then I'm going to um, definitely be interested in hearing about it. Um, I would like to hear from staff just a little bit on on infrastructure. Do we have any projects specifically dedicated for the crossing the West K10? I thought we had some that we. Just giving some people a chance to get to their microphones. So I'm looking to see if someone's going to hop on. I'm going to say real quick, I, I think we have to be very, very, very careful. And I think my word for tonight is late. Very careful in conflating one's desire or need or to find help with the idea that we are for a lack of better words a, a little bit gullible <coughs> to individuals who are experiencing homelessness and I, I i say that very carefully because i think we start to create a narrative that in being compassionate there has to be a sense of the little empathy and understanding one's journey and one's life. And as we've stated before, the strategies to get to functional zero as it relates to individuals experiencing homelessness is very complex. And it's a very complex issue as well as when one tries to diagnose why someone may come to our community. And I think the work of our communication specialists as it relates to telling our story and being able to identify what the story is of those experiencing homelessness, as well as those in the community who are partners in helping to solve it, that work's going to be that's going to be important to this dialogue because I think that's that that type of language is part of the reason why we are navigating this space the way we are today. So I, I get that folks may come to Lawrence because they may not, they don't see it as this is where I can go and be lazy and someone will wait on me hand and foot as I decide to be homeless and not be whatever. I think folks come to a community seeking help 
seeking compassion, seeking support, asking to be seen and to be valued and to conflate that with a sense of irresponsibility can be very, very dangerous. So I think we've got... Um, Are we still waiting? Yeah, on the, yeah, we're still waiting on staff. The infrastructure stuff? Yeah, where's that? Dan's about to answer. I'm kind of curious about that as well. Centered and focused on the uh, west of K-10 expansion. But the one thing that is uh, particularly highlighted under the uh, water and wastewater utility funding is the um, expansion of water pressure zones uh, west of K-10. And that is a $11.5 million project uh, slated for the later uh, half of the CIP. So uh, the, the significant funding is in 26 and 27. Thank you. And Commission, if I may, Amy Miller, Assistant Planning and Development Services Director, I probably know just as much as Jeremy does, um, but there also appears to be some sanitary sewer items um, for upgrading um, that they are planning on starting some of that in 2023, but the majority of the funding happens in 2024, 2025, and 2026. So that covers some water and sewer. Um, I'm just curious, uh, Amy, is that in conjunction with uh, the work KDOT is planning to go ahead and start as well? Since it's you know open ground, we, we figure we'll go ahead and do that work. Unfortunately, I cannot answer that question. I don't have the detail sheets in front of me. I'm just looking at the summary right now. And these are MSO projects. So Jeremy and I are just trying to pinch hit. Gotcha. Oh, comes Melinda. I, I could maybe address that. Um, all, all of our projects we're carefully coordinating with KDOT um, in the timing of um, of the the projects, and and um, we have been funding um, the the required infrastructure that we'll need to move in order to enable the KDOT project to to proceed. Okay. I thought I saw Melinda Harder pop up. Did she come on? Yes, I'm here. I'm Melinda Harger, Assistant Director of MSO. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions uh, related to projects that we have funded in the CIP related to um, infrastructure west of K-10. I do have a list of those projects in the CIP that I'd be happy to, to read down that list if that would be helpful. That would be great. Thank you. Okay. So um, we do have the $7 million uh, city match for the west leg of the SLT um, that is slated in here for 2024 in our current approved CIP for 23 to 27. So that's in the year 2024. We have our utility relocations um, that we are looking to award in early 23. It has funding of uh, 2.25 million over the course of three years. So starting in 23 through 25, and that's 
to get our utilities out of the way for all the work that KDOT's doing um, with the interchange as well as the West Leg. Um, we have the 6th and K-10 interchange, so that's a million and a half in 2023, so that is for that um, interchange um, work that KDOT's doing. We have the Southwest Conveyance Corridor Project, um, variety of funds. I have it split out by year. I don't have the total here. Um, but that, that funding runs from 2023 to 2026. And what that does is it's providing the additional sanitary sewer capacity downstream so that we can um, have the capacity for that development west of K-10. So it's providing work. We have a pump station there. Um, we call it pump station nine, but it, it's there on the curve of Castle to 31st Street. And then it's also new interceptor between pump station nine and pump station 10. So down the 31st Street corridor over to the pump station that's there at 31st Louisiana. So that entire corridor um, does not have the capacity for the additional growth. And so that's why this project is slated and it would be complete in 2026. Then we have a west of K-10 pressure zone um, project that is about 11 and a half million um, starting design in 2024 going through uh, 2027. The piece that is missing um, from the CIP that would be needed to connect some of this would be the actual infrastructure crossings of K-10. So we have relocations, we have additional capacity, additional pressure zone, but what we have heard um, you know, working with folks from um, the Chamber, uh, Home Builders Association is, is the concern from developers with the high cost to cross K-10. So that's something that there's been lots of discussions on recently. So I think that's what some of the, the public comment you received was regarding is that additional costs, uh, several million dollars to cross both the sanitary across K-10 and the water lines needed. Um, for those developments between Clinton Parkway and 6th Street west of K-10. So hopefully that helps provide a little bit more clarity. Yeah. I'm happy to answer questions. Thank you. Yeah, that really, really is helpful. Yeah. So the crossings, um, we don't have that in the CIP at this point. Do we see that coming into the CIP anytime in the near future? I mean, if we're going to do all these other items, right. it seems like that last piece is really important. Um, any thoughts on that, Melinda? Melinda Harger, Assistant Director, MSO. Um, it's my understanding that some of the policies that we have in place right now indicates that that is developer funded. So it, I think there's some policies that have to, or some direction um, that we would need to get to fund that, that at least in the time I've been here, um, there's a there's a chart that says what is developer funded, what is utility funded, and that's what our rate model and everything is built on as well. So, and, and Mike uh, may still be on here and he could probably provide a little more clarity, but I don't have that piece pulled up. And that's something that staff could definitely come back to you with, with more information on that. And I might be able to jump in on some of that comment. Um, 
I think one of the issues has been, um, uh, as, as Melinda sets up, you know, we do have policies that require the participation of the developer or the ultimate um, owners of property to contribute for these infrastructure costs. I think one of the challenges that we've had in all of the discussions that we've had about extending infrastructure has to do with the property over which we are initially extending it. And I think one of the discussions that staff has had is how can we utilize um, some of our larger tools um, to create larger benefit districts in order to finance that over a larger area and enable um, a larger amount of ground to contribute toward those costs. Obviously, if you're trying to spread um, major costs over a very small development, that can be a real challenge to make those numbers work. So we certainly understand what's, what's been relayed to us by the development community and think that that this other mechanism that has been utilized, um, you know, in, in Lawrence and other communities can be a real help in addressing that. Thank you, Diane. Appreciate that. Um, Diane, how, how far down the line would that development district be, do you guesstimate? Um, great question, Vice Mayor. I think that all of that um, would be very dependent upon the actual plan that we would put together um, and what the, what the benefit what the benefiting properties would be and the the ground that would be entailed in in those improvements that would ultimately help that benefiting property. We have to be very careful with those definitions. So it's really very, um, very case specific. And I think it'll need to be something that we work closely with the development community in order to um, put together a plan. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think we're um, at this point in time, we got some um, interest and in, in definitely on, on several of these items one through six um, I think for myself again I said item number six I was definitely interested in I am uh, the housing needs assessment I really question if that's something we really need to do right at this moment is that wise money to be spent at this time and I would prefer to have that removed for, for evaluation later on down the road um, and I heard a couple other commissioners also indicate that they were interested in that. Is that right? I believe so. Okay. And then item number one, um, there was discussion about um, the 350K and possibly that 75K is, is using that money to split between the projects, the Duelist projects, as well as the Homeworks project. Is that what I'm understanding? That was my request. Is <laughs> a... Uh, Seller, uh, Commissioner Seller's request and Commissioner Pinkledye, you were interested in um, the Doulas project. Yeah, my only concern, and I'm a big supporter of the um, Homeworks project, I don't believe it's in Douglas County. It's just across the line. Mm -hmm. Is it in the city limits? No. Oh. So that's my, it's a yeah. great project. I support the project. I, I think it's a good um, project, but it's not, it's not in the city and it's not in the, it's, it's right across, it's right across the county line in Jefferson County, okay. right by the airport, just as you pass. So mm -hmm. great project. But I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I could support using our opera dollars on that project. I, I appreciate that. That's good information to have. And I, I, w I would uh, support that. So if we have projects that have a service area and in, in our community, should we not consider them? 
I'm just saying, just just for conversation. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly support you know entities that work around the area, um, but when we're talking about infrastructure, I concern building infrastructure in an, another county with our dollars, even though it serves us. I mean, it's literally across the line. I, I just have difficulty with that. All, again, although great project and I support, support it. That's why I, I, I would draw the line. I would probably agree, considering how scarce these dollars are. Okay. So we have, we verified. I, I don't know, I just, it was just interesting. And I'm, I don't think Miss. Foster Davis would have presented us with a project if it wasn't within city or county limits. But if if we know for sure it's in Jefferson County, then eleven months. Yeah. Do is. Commissioner. Provided um, in your packet is not located within city of Lawrence limits. Unfortunately, I don't have the correct map to tell whether it's in Douglas County, Leavenworth County, um, or or where the county lines are. Um, but it is not within city of Lawrence limits. I visited it. It's a great. It is. Yeah. Great. I visited it and, yeah. and um, you know, but it's not in the county. Okay. Then I would support that also. Unfortunately, because I do think Foster it's Davis, did you want to speak? Yeah, I do want to say that, yes, you're correct. The property is located in rural Lawrence. Um, our offices where we manage the project is a home office in Lawrence city limits. And, we'll be and the property itself includes paying USD 497 taxes because we are part of Lawrence, Kansas. I view us as rural Lawrence. I've, I've never, which is one of the reasons I never came and asked for money. But <clears throat> I agree that we are in Leavenworth County, just across the line, but we will be accepting um, residents from Lawrence, Douglas County, Leavenworth County, we'll be having residents that are where Lawrence is directly benefiting. So that is why we went ahead and submitted the request this time. Uh, I don't know how to do that. So is that um, changing anybody's mind on this? Okay. So the seventy-five thousand. Did we want to remove that, or um, is there enough um, interest in moving that to later, or using these seventy-five thousand uh, dollars for the Doulas project? How much was Doulas asking for? Um, yeah. About three fifty. I thought they were asking. Which was there a specific ask for the project? Seems like at one time we spoke of three hundred fifty. Yeah, Commissioner Finkeldice. I suggested 350. We are in that middle stage where we're developing the project. Uh, our initial proposal um, to the county for ARPA funds was uh, 1.9 million. Um, so we're in the process of assembling our strategy for 
raising funds for the project. So, uh, I mean, I, you, know, you say, how much do you need? Well, we need <laughs> at least 1.5 million. Right. Uh, but, you know, we want to get this moving and we're definitely going to do this project. We have a couple of foundations that we're funds for, and uh, so we're working. I, you know, uh, I mean, if you want a number for me, I'd say seven hundred thousand. So, does that help? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rich. <laughs> so, are, is there interest in um, having that three hundred fifty thousand go to the Duelist project? hear anything uh, that was my suggestion yeah, yeah. I, I have yeah. no problem with it yeah fine with that commissioners that, that i was willing to split four hundred twenty-five thousand with them so <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna say no to 350. okay does that bring us closer to a motion here yeah i think it does yeah somebody want to make a motion can we go through the numbers again yes we um 350,000. Um, for the Duelist project, and uh, I, and that comes out of item one, the union um, money, and so item one, agreement on two, three, four A and four B are in agreement. Item five, which is the housing needs or the market analysis, that was um, seemed like the interest there was to to put that off to a different time. Take a look at that down the road. And that 75K, just earmark it for that. Is that what we're looking at? That's fine with me. And then item six, yes. So that's what we've got. Good job. So we, can we have a motion? I'd make that motion if Sherry has it written down, though. I was going to say, she's got it written can down. We, can just say motion <laughs> as, as amended? You... Just. I like Roberts. Roberts likes to make things simple. But I could, <laughs> I could make a better motion. I move to approve the City of Lawrence American Rescue Plan off of um, homeless funding recommendations um, with the change of um, reallocating $350,000 from the Annex Group to the Dula Centro Hispano Project and... Um, I forget the word we're going to use. You know, not allocating the seventy-five thousand at the moment for the study, and just not allocating that money at this time. So re-encumber, encumber. Mm. So I have a motion. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Zero. Passes five zero. Okay. Now. On to item three, which wise I can't. Oh, I see. There's an item. Yeah, item three. It was added. This is receive an update of the winter emergency shelter operations during the upcoming severe winter weather emergency and adopt resolution 7461, declaring a health and safety emergency, enabling the continuous use of the community building as a winter emergency shelter from 9 a.m. December 21st until 7 a.m. December 27th and lifting the 75-person occupancy cap established by this special use permit during this time. 
Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I'm Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. Um, as the Mayor mentioned, this item is really two parts. One is providing you an update related to plans that we've been working on diligently with the upcoming um, weather situation that we're expecting, and then also requesting uh, your support of a resolution this evening that would further declare um, the emergency specific to this weather event um, and take some actions, as I'll explain here in a moment. Um, as a uh, as you know, uh, we've been looking ahead to this extreme weather event, um, a bomb cyclone, as I understand, uh, which where we have extreme cold that's forecasted that will be very dangerous and um, and really potentially life-threatening to our most vulnerable people who are unhoused. And so our homeless, um, our housing initiatives team has really been working very hard with every uh, department that affects this issue, including the legal department, a fire medical department, Department and Parks and Recreation Department over the course of yesterday and today to put together a plan that we believe will enable the um, winter emergency shelter to be open continuously from 9 a.m. tomorrow, Wednesday, December 21st until 7 a.m. on Tuesday, December 27th. Um, we do note that the that this shelter will be able to operate only under these extended hours if we're able to get some additional volunteers um, in order to cover those hours in order to supplement some of the paid city staff that we have involved in covering this. And then, of course, one of the challenges is that this poll is happening under um, a weekend, but not just any weekend, a weekend where we have two major holidays that are involved. So um, this afternoon, we did issue a news release that does uh, make a plea to the community, which I would very much reiterate, uh, that we are in need of assistance with helping with volunteers covering shifts. Um, particularly both on Christmas Eve on Saturday, as well as Christmas Day on Sunday. Uh, the news release does cover the specific shifts that we're looking for coverage, and the news release can be found at the city's website, lawrenceks.org. Uh, there is also a link for people to be able to sign up to assist with, um, with those um, hours that are outlined. Um, also, I would indicate that um, the Winter Emergency Shelter is in desperate need of some urgent donations related to this um, very cold event, particularly all adult sizes of winter gloves, wool hats, wool socks, and then also um, hot hand and hot feet uh, warmers um, for individuals and um, um, individually packed snack foods, things that are easy for people to be able to either uh, take with them if that's their preference or eat in the, in the winter shelter, protein bars, trail mix, crackers, those sorts of things are very helpful for us. Uh, people who are wanting to contribute in that way are urged to provide and, and take those uh, supplies directly to the community building during hours of operation, or they can also take it um, to the winter emergency shelter from 7 to 11 p.m. nightly. Uh, there is an entrance that is located um, off the back alley um, behind the community building, and that's the best place to enter if you're coming at night and just knock on the door and someone will assist you. Uh, so we really believe that this plan will enable um, people to be able to be housed in the community building for this entire stretch of time so that we don't encounter a situation where we're needing to close one building, open another building, and have somebody be able to have to transition in order to do that. So um, 
Uh, finally, I think our team uh, really wants to urge the public to be sure to check on people and really look out for people during this period of time. Um, and checking on them can can really be a, a major assistance as well. Um, shifting to the action that we're requesting for you to take this evening, we have a resolution that we've prepared that's on your agenda this evening that would enable this continuous occupancy of the community building for the period of time that I outlined, as well as enable exceeding the 75 person cap that has been outlined in the special use permit that was approved by the City Commission to establish this as a winter emergency shelter originally. Um, so in, in closely coordinating this with our public safety department, um, we have talked about um, uh, looking at uh, having approximately a 75 square foot per person allocation of space, which is a FEMA guideline, and kind of using that um, with the existing space that we have in the gymnasium floor that we've been using in the winter emergency shelter, we believe that we could house um, up to 110 individuals on the gymnasium floor area, and um, that we would be able to utilize the basement, which is fully sprinkled um, for an additional 36 individuals for a total of approximately 146 individuals using that um, rough guideline of about 75 um, people uh, per square foot or 75 um, uh, one, 75 square feet per person, excuse me. Um, so the, the action this evening, again, will would enable uh, that to occur and lifting that 75 uh, person limit. Um, I think what that really does for the staff is provide a lot of flexibility to have this additional sheltering capacity within one site. That really helps us with um, the operational challenges, particularly the staffing challenges that we're gonna be encountering here over over the next couple of days. So we would appreciate your consideration of that, uh, declaring that emergency and making that action this evening. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Do we have the um, supplies to do that as far as the, the mats they use and the pillows is there, and blankets? Do we have the supplies for that many people? I'm gonna ask if one of the team members um, can maybe assist me with, with that, which is here, I believe. Thank you, Mitch. Mitch Young, Parks and Recreation, Houseless Liaison. Uh, yes, we had prepared uh, for Plan B um, with if we were to use East Lawrence Rec Center. So what, we do have the supplies that are needed, uh, the basic supplies, which are the, uh, the mats that they lay on, the pillows, and the blankets. Uh, the other uh, items we'll need, we'll be able to get at, at local store if last minute if needed. Thank you, Mitch. Okay, any other questions? Nope. We need it. Okay, thank you, Diane. If there's no other questions, then we will take it to public comment. Any public comment from the audience on this item? Anything online? Anybody online? All right, we'll bring it back to the commission if there's um, any discussion. If not, I'd ask for a motion. Anybody want to have anything to say about this? All right. We, we need it. We'll on this. Yeah. <laughs> certainly need it. Uh, it's going to get really cold, and I echo what Diane said. 
try to look out for each other because it's going to be out there. Maybe that we approve right 2461 declaring the severe weather emergency of the community building sheltering from 9 a.m. Wednesday, December 21st through 7 a.m. Tuesday, December 27th and lifting the 75 person occupancy cap during this period. Second. I have a question, a second, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? It passes 5-0. On to commission items. Anybody have an, any commissioner have an item they want to discuss? Okay. Move on to city manager report. Craig. Just two items, the uh, usual uh, utility billing report on there, and then also the future agenda items. Okay. Any um, the Wakarusa extension discussion, I think, was for the slated for the third of January. It was pointed out to me um, by some people at Haskell that um, neither Haskell nor KU will be in session at that time, and I um, uh, appreciate, as Citizen Flowers often does, point out that we be cognizant of the other people who live here. Um, uh, wondered if I could. Um, prevail upon other commissioners to put that off until after Haskell and KU are back in session. I, okay. Does um, that impact anything as far as ongoing? The, the county's request. This would be something, uh, again, it, it's uh, our MSO folks that are a little more familiar with the design and um, the project, um, particularly from the county and KDOT side, would know about the timing, but I do know that there's long periods of planning and design that have to go into that and environmental um, studies that have to go into that. So I wouldn't imagine that 30 days, um, additional days would be um, catastrophic to it. They've, uh, the county obviously has asked us for some position on the funding. Um, they returned to school on the 17th, which would punt it to the 1st of February. So I just want to be clear that um, staff is aware that's what I'm asking. And, and other commissioners. That. Melinda, did you want to speak? Yeah, Melinda. <laughs> I'm Melinda Harger, Assistant Director, MSO. Um, that's that's fine for city staff for us to move it to February. Um, and I, I don't think that would impact the project design. However, if the county has other deadlines and they needed a response sooner, that's the part I'm not sure of. So we can check into that. Um, and if if that is the case and they need to know um, and hear back and have direction in January, would you want us to try to schedule it for the third meeting in January? It would be a couple of days before K, KU and, and potentially Haskell are back. It's the same week. Well, at least we can talk about it. Yeah, at least let us know. <laughs> okay. We'll plan to put something on to update you on the third on the timing or send send something through Craig when we can have um, when we have additional information. Thank you very much. How about if we reflect to go to January 17th and we talk about it again on January 3rd? Does that make sense? Yep. Uh, then that way there would be no public that are thinking they need to be here on January 3rd. That would right. give some time. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions on the city manager's report? If not, we'll take it to public comment. Any <laughs> public comment on this item? Anybody online, Sherry? No. All right. 
We'll move to review the calendar items. Any items that need to? I did just want to make sure that everyone knows about the Hanukkah celebration tomorrow evening at 4.30 at the library. Of course, we're all invited just to remind everyone. Um, it's not the first day, but we are invited. <laughs> and if you've never been, it's a fantastic celebration. Make sure everyone knew about that. Okay, thank you very much. Any other calendar items? Thanks. So. Okay. Just want to um, give everybody a happy holidays and safe and, and stay warm out there. And as it, as it has been indicated, we need to take care of each other and uh, make sure that um, all of our loved ones are, are staying warm. Do I have a motion to adjourn? Move to adjourn. Second. Um, got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Passes 5-0. <laughs>